Psychology in Seattle. So, Berto, someone, a patron, emailed us to talk about infidelity. She had a lot of questions about infidelity mm-hmm. and cheating and all that kind of stuff. And I thought we would answer the questions. And as I was pre- preparing for this episode, I found myself doing kind of a mini deep dive on all the research mm-hmm. and really my own clinical experience with infidelity and I guess anecdotal experience with infidelity. I think it is a pretty complicated thing. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions. And so I thought we would do an episode in which we really talked for a while about infidelity. What do you say? Yeah, actually, the irony is that she was originally going to email a different podcast and then she emailed us. (laughs) Yeah. So I want to read her email because I think it uh, illuminates a lot of the concerns that people have about, about infidelity. It doesn't encapsulate everything, but I thought it'd be a good jumping off point. Um, I'm going to introduce the podcast in a second. I work with two people in my organization. They are having an affair. One woman is married and the other woman is single. It impacts our organization. Their interaction with the whole team can be productive at times and totally absent and withdrawn at other times. It's as if Mm. all of us jointly are experiencing the ups and downs of their secretive relationship. It's confusing for me because I really respect her, I really respected her in the past tense, mm. and I would never have pinned her as someone who cheats. And then she has a bunch of questions. Sometimes a partner who ha- sometimes a partner who has been cheated on still stays in the relationship. Why? Why do some partners knowingly accept that their partner is cheating? If someone cheats, does it mean that they don't have integrity in other areas of their life? Are they more likely to lie or shoplift? If someone cheats once, are they more likely to cheat again? Mm. What about the single person in the affair? Is there a future in the relationship for the quote-unquote homewreckers? If they are desperate, if they desperately want a real relationship with this person, do they not worry that this person may also cheat on them in the future? Can you explore the passive-aggressive or punishing behavior by those whose partners cheated on them? Does it really take two to cheat? Do people who have been cheated on deserve more in a divorce settlement? Hmm. How about cultural expectations? For example, it seems that mistresses are quite common in France, Italy, and India. One of my friends was married, and her husband cheated on her for 10 years. She didn't find out he cheated until after the divorce. Apparently, lots of her friends in their social circle all knew about it. Can a woman be completely oblivious to her husband cheating for 10 years? They say sexual harassment is more about power than sex. Is cheating more about power than sex, or is it something else? So I want to answer all these questions, and I want to talk about a lot of other things. I want, to, I want to get into uh, just defining infidelity. I want to talk about the morality. I want to talk about the prevalence rates. And I'm going to quiz you on what you think the pre- prevalence rates, lifetime and any particular relationship in a given moment. I'm going to talk about couples therapy. I'm going to talk about the risk factors, what sort of things research has shown that uh, increase the likelihood of someone engaging. Isn't that that Simon Cowell show, The Risk Factor? Yeah. Um, I'm also going to uh, perhaps ask you, Berto, if you want to talk about 
your own urges for infidelity or maybe your own infidelities and, and maybe why it happened. And I'm going to ask the listeners as well to, in their minds, uh, as they're listening, think about your own infidelities because mm. um, many people have and, and think about why it happened. And then we're, then we're going to get into the attachment styles and why that can lead to infidelity and also the different types that are associated with different attachment styles. Mm. Um, then we're going to go into all of our questions and we're going to try to answer them. And some of them are actually quite complicated. This uh, is the 11-hour show, right? Yeah. So as you can see, <laughs> my, my short little uh, episode idea blossomed into a large idea. Yeah. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. Who are you, Beto? My name is Humberto Castaneda, and I am an iguana charmer. This episode is just for patrons of the podcast. So if you're listening to this in your ear holes or watching this on YouTube and you're not a patron mm. on Patreon, then this episode is just going to end right now. And so if you want to get the probably two-hour, maybe three-hour deep dive into infidelity that we are going to get into, then you have to become a patron by going to patreon.com. When you become a patron, you will gain access to this episode and hundreds of other episodes that are probably our best episodes that are only available to patrons. So uh, mm. do you want to add anything to that? I'll just give them the TLDR then so that they can get it for free. Yeah. There's no I in cheating. Ha ha. All right. Welcome to the Patron Zone patrons. Thank you so much for being a patron. Uh, it's really cool of you. So let's get into it. There are a lot of different words for cheating. Do you know the different words? I mean, uh, putting the horns on someone. Putting the horns yeah, on someone. Yeah, it's, it's an old Shakespeare thing. Oh. Um, and uh, Oh, is it like devilish betraying. or something? No. Well, actually, maybe. But it was more... I don't remember what the what the meaning was, but it, uh, it, it's something about like in the plays they would always like reference being if you have horns it means like oh you know, cheating. Well, in Greek mythology, there was the the, sa- the satyr who mm-hmm. yeah. was sexually promiscuous. Yeah, it could be. So, so I mean, uh, infidelity, cheating, uh, sleeping around. Uh, I don't know, betraying, unfaithful, unfaithful. In the literature, they call it extradiatic involvement. Whoa. Yeah. That sounds sexy. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, in the, in the clinical literature, research literature, you can't have things like cheating or – but I, I don't know. Infidelity. Would you like to enter into an extradiatic relationship with me? Yeah. <laughs> are, you, are you into extradiatic relationships? And actually, come, come to think of it, it's uh, a problematic term because it excludes polyamorous right. uh, for – polyamorous people, they have uh, frequently extradiatic involvements right. that are not anything, you know, they're not uh, cheating. They're not, it's not infidelity. Yeah. Um, so uh, do you have a, if you could derive a definition of infidelity or cheating, what would, what would it be? I mean, something like uh, you, you step outside of the boundaries of the agreed upon arrangement between the parties in a way that's deceitful and potentially ongoing, something along those lines. Right. Yeah, that is the gist of it. But as I started to develop my own working definition, I found that there's a lot of 
little caveats that need to be said because there's a lot of misconception, I think, yeah. about it. Certainly that working definition works, but what a lot of people, they might um, not know that you might have to clarify it. So so here's my longer clarification. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. And, and I would say like my definition would be you could you could say like you went to Star Wars without me. Like you cheated. <laughs> yeah. That was outside the boundaries of our pre agreed upon, you know, which it would be. It's it's the worst kind of cheating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So mine is the individual must be in a relationship with at least some rules regarding being with other people, either romantically or sexually. So I'm including both romantic and sexual mm-hmm. uh, rules that people have boundaries on their relationship. Um, this includes monogamous relationships and non-monogamous. You can cheat within a swinging relationship or right. a polyamorous relationship. You're just doing something that you're breaking the rules. Right. Um, and the rules can be explicit, like we now commit to each other and we're not going to have sex with other people or just kind of understood you are in love. You know, I I imagine there are some married couples who expect each other to be monogamous and they've never explicitly said, you're not going to have sex with other people, right? Right. Or you're not going to flirt with other, with your past partners on Facebook, right? Yeah. You don't expect to come home, open the door, be like, you're having sex with someone else. It's like, well, we never, talked about it like, yeah right you never said i couldn't so there's certain understood things now that gets a little tricky because what if both people understand something different right like one person thinks that porn and masturbation is fine and the other person thinks that's cheating and they haven't talked about it yet right so there are things like that but um but they ha- so they have to be reasonably understood i suppose mm-hmm. and also it's obvious that the rules vary from couple to couple also the individual the rest of this is the individual knowingly breaks from the rules so that they have to knowingly break. So in that situation where someone looks at porn and masturbates and they don't think it's a problem because maybe in their past relationships it wasn't or something Mm -hmm. and their partner thinks it's infidelity when they find out and is very hurt and uh, which is okay, but then accuses that person of uh, cheating and the person who was looking at porn says, I actually had no idea. Right. So th- that's not infidelity in my book. So but, like, you know, hey, did you have an orgy with like the Swedish bikini team? Well, yeah. Like, I didn't think, I thought it was like multiple people. It's fine. Like, well, I, I, sp- didn't, I didn't think. Yeah. Well, I, if that works for you, I, I suppose use it. Um, it's funny that Swedish bikini team, like pops. <laughs> that's and, the go-to. Yeah. Like that's, that's the go-to. I think the Swedish bikini team was a Budweiser thing in the 90s. Was it? <laughs> right? I don't know. I, I think it was. I mean, ever since I can remember, that's the go-to thing. <laughs> uh, Is there a team of, like, they go around in bikinis, like a special forces? Well, unit? that was the joke. It was. I think it was a Budweiser commercial. Uh the individual knowingly breaks from the rules by being romantically or sexually involved with someone outside the relationship. And this could either be very brief or it could be ongoing. Some people distinguish between sex and romance. They'll say, well, there's sexual infidelity right. and there's romantic infidelity, and that's fine. But I'm not going to do that because uh, the effects are the same, the motivations are often the same, and 
it I don't know, it's just not very it's not interesting to me to delineate between that. People become very fixated on those kinds of things and it's it's like yeah. well well it was just flirting on Facebook and I don't know. The other, it, go ahead. It is weird too because uh, in hetero, let's take a heterosexual couple for a second. You know, if one of the partners meets someone from the opposite sex and like they have a grand time, uh, sorry, uh, of the same sex, like say the, the man meets another man at a baseball game and they have a great time and then he's like, oh my gosh, I'm totally going to hang out with this person on, on the weekend. And then they start spending a lot of time together and going on trips and all these things. It's like, yep, that's fine. But if it were a woman, that's all of a sudden terrible. Not for every couple. No, I know, but I'm saying, like in general, like that. That's the, that's the 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 weird part about it is that you can have a new friend and spend a lot of your time with them, right. And do very special things with that friend as long as they're of the sex that you're not supposed to be sexually interested in. Right. I mean, the uh, what you're talking about is the cultural norm yeah. around men and women aren't friends, right. and if they are, it's leading to sex. I hated when Harry met Sally for that reason. <laughs> uh, that's a uh, when I saw that movie in the early nineties, yeah. mid nineties, maybe late eighties, somewhere around there. I was I had good friends who mm. we you know women. I'm yeah. heterosexual, and I had women friends who we were not romantically or sexually involved at all, and. There was never that, that you know of. There wasn't any tension. There wasn't any. We we were friends. In fact, very very good friends, and hung out all the time. And there was and there was never a threat to my other relationships. Mm -hmm. And they in that movie claim that you can't have it. the only reason why a, and, and it was gendered too because the only they said the only reason why a guy would want to be friends with a girl is because he's trying to have sex with her. Right. I just thought. I mean, for sure that could happen, but. Every single time, like men are that one, like dimensional that they can't enjoy the personality of someone else and have fun with that person. It was just ridiculous. The other thing here is some people will delineate between men and women in terms of what they're sensitive to. They And I won't go into the full detail, but in general, uh, just a quick thing, because I probably need to establish this up front, is that some people believe and there's researchers that uh, promote this erroneous idea that men are concerned with sexual infidelity and women are concerned with romantic infidelity. Uh -huh. And the issue is, is that when, uh, so long story short, when they actually ask people in the United States to rate their upsetness about romantic and sexual infidelity, the rates are almost identical mm. uh, for men and women. And uh, uh, so all four categories. So you have... You know, they ask women, uh, right? Well, let me just ask you. So you're in a, if you were in a long-term relationship and how concerned would you be about your partner having sex with someone else that you didn't approve of on a scale from one to 10 with 10 being the most upset and one being like, you don't care. What number would you put? Like, meaning I don't approve on is like, we haven't agreed on it. It's behind my back, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's upsetting. So like say uh, an eight. Okay. And what if your partner were to have a six-month secret Facebook romantic texting, I love you, you're way better than my partner. Yeah, if it, if it is the kind of thing that takes away from our relationship and, and, and threatens to replace it, then that would be more like a 10. Okay, so when 
they so that's pretty close to the average. The average tends to be about eight or nine, and for men. Uh, cisgender men, it tends to be around eight or nine average. And for cisgender women, it tends to be eight or nine average. There's some slight differences, which you could account for on socialization and expectation and that kind of thing. So just to be clear, men men get just as upset, and in your case, more upset about romantic than they do sexual. And for women, they can be totally upset about sexual infidelity. Now, I'll even clarify, like for me, because I'm certainly not within the normal norms, I think, um, you know, scenario, a, uh, person I'm with is at a party and then they end up making out pretty heavily with someone and it was like fun and they tell me about it and I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's crazy. I kind of don't care. I sort of care if the next day it keeps coming up and then the next day it keeps coming up. I'm like, okay, now I kind of care. Right. Scenario B, uh, I find some texts, some emails, like, oh my gosh, I wish I could live a life with you instead of my husband, my boyfriend, whatever. And uh, it's just, you, yeah, like it, times are so much better with you. I really don't enjoy spending. Like that's a devastating blow. That's like, oh my gosh, I've been living a lie. Yeah. You know, so it's like, so it really, for me, I think the the sex part's like, oh, okay, fine. I mean, the sex part to me only matters if it's related to Well, it matters to you. And, it, it, it's an eight. Yeah, well, but if it's related to lying, deceit, threat to the relationship. Right. Not well, because it was touching molecules of two people together. Right. By definition, yeah. as you know, the, the, re- the rhetorical situation, the hypothetical situation, they were doing it completely outside. They, yeah. were, de- they were deceiving you. Right. Uh, now, here's the next thing is morality. So uh, it's, it's important, I think, to point this out because it's often left out of the discussions. The reason why people are hurt by uh, these kind well, why are people hurt by infidelity? So I think you, you know, from the time you're little, you want to believe that there are certain sacred bonds between you and your family members, between you and your mom, your dad, your sisters, your brothers, whatever. And that no matter what, like those things are there and that they care for you and that they can support you. And then later in life, you get a partner or multiple partners. And you want to believe the same. You're like, wow, we have a special thing. No matter what, they'll support me. They love me. They love me with my flaws. And if bad stuff happens, they're there. And then all of a sudden, these things can make you feel like, wait a minute. They're not there for me. They don't really love me. They don't really support me. This is not a real bond like I had when I was little or what I imagined. And then all of a sudden, your reality is upside down and you feel alone. And- right. So this could apply to any kind of lie. Like someone went on a vacation and they said they went to Vegas, but in reality, they went to New York and right. there was no infidelity involved. It was just a lie. Yeah. They, they just, they just, maybe the partner who stayed home was like, if you ever go to New York, I, I'm going to divorce you because I hate that city. <laughs> and the person uh, lies and says, uh, I went to Vegas, but really went to New York. The basis of our, I wouldn't say, I mean, sacred, sacred is absolutely a part of it, but also a part of it is just logic. Yeah. If someone lies to me and I catch them, they probably lied to me in other instances that I didn't catch them. Yeah. And if that's the case, then what, can I trust anything they've said? Can I trust anything they've done? Yeah. Can I trust, do they even really love me? Yeah. Do they even really care? So 
just a small little lie can challenge that. And a big little lie, so to speak, like cheating, will uh, challenge that quite uh, severely. That's a good example. For you know, let's say, oh my gosh, we should go to the Grand Canyon sometime. Oh, absolutely. Okay, that's our dream. We're gonna go to the Grand Canyon. And then you know, a couple of years go by. Uh, Hey, I'm going on a week long trip with some coworkers or friends, whatever. Where are you going? Oh, just down to Oregon. Cool. Week goes by, comes back, and then you find the photos. You're in the Grand Canyon. Yeah, that was going to be our special trip. Yeah, like that alone. There, let's say there was no right. sexual nothing. It was just like you had made this deal. You had this thing. Right. And to your point, there's like, what else did you not? Tell well, me? what else did you? That do? that that's an interesting point be, uh, scenario because it it's not really lying. It's just inattention or yeah. evidence that the person isn't thinking of the other partner all the time or enough yeah. that to make them feel like they're a priority in their yeah. life. And so uh, that's, it, that's an important element to this because a lot of people will equate it to purity, infidelity, mm-hmm. is that there's a purity, there's a you know, sanctioned by God that there's a purity to the boundaries around a relationship. And if you break that threshold, you've committed some kind of sin or crime against the relationship, which is fine. That's a perfectly fine way of, of viewing the world. Sure. But more fundamentally, which is true for regardless of what your morality is, lying and deceiving in any relationship is harmful. And that's the basis of the morality regarding infidelity is that you're lying, you're deceiving, you're not, you're not thinking of the other person's feelings. And uh, that's where the harm comes from and that's where the hurt comes from. Right. And research shows that it harms uh, many, many people. Often the cheating partner is harmed by the cheating. Uh, obviously, the cheated on partner is harmed. If there's children involved, they're harmed. Research shows that uh, children suffer. And uh, oh, yeah. so it's, it, there's just a lot of bad things that happen. And uh, I, re- I remember reading research talking, and I found this to be anecdotally true, that people, the cheating, the cheating partner, when they're discovered, and they end up coming to therapy as a couple, the universal statement that the cheating person will say after a few sessions is, I had no idea how much pain my partner would be in, and Mm. I had no idea how long the pain was going to last for. Mm. If I knew how much pain this this would cause and how long it would last, I never would have done it. I I knew it might hurt them, kind of. I didn't know it would hurt them that much. I knew they, they might be upset for a while. I didn't think we'd be talking. People, I will be talking with couples about infidelity that happened 20 years prior. Right. It it never goes away. It, right. that, that notion of, you did that to me. <laughs> and it's and there's so much meaning for for particularly monogamous people, but but really everyone around sexual purity, so to speak, or, sure. or sexual um, uh, boundaries, that we uh, – it, it just holds a lot of weight. Now, the other issue here is, is that it's largely cultural, and there's nothing logical about boundaries and sex. Sure. The, you could say that we evolved to be monogamous mostly – but 
clearly some people are fine in non-monogamous relationships. Yeah. So we didn't evolve exclusively. Like we evolved exclusively to drink water instead of gasoline. But we clearly did not evolve exclusively for monogamy. We have a tendency towards that, it seems. Um, but certainly there are lots of people who can be in polyamorous relationships or serial monogamists, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, um, so it's harmful to people and that needs to be clear. It's, we're not studying this just because it's an interesting thing that people do. This is, this is something that is, is a problem. Yeah. It's, it's, like, it's like physical abuse or um, emotional abuse or something. It's, it's, it's willing, harmful behavior. And uh, that's what we're talking about. We're not, we're not just talking about like um, mild or interesting dynamics between couples. Preferences in TV shows. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, so uh, what's the lifetime prevalence rate, do you think? When, when, you know, when lifetime they, prevalence. So when they survey people, yeah. again, you have to get their uh, honest answers. Uh, in your life... Percentage of times that people, or percentage of people that cheated. Have cheated at least once. At least once in, in their, their life. life. Yeah. And this is, in all likelihood, sexual. Okay. Uh, having intercourse or some kind of. 50%. Uh, good. It's, so, somewhere between 20 and 80%. Oh, my God. Uh, somewhere between zero and 100. <laughs> right. Because. It's not zero. It's not 100. Because you're asking for people to admit something. <laughs> And I don't know about you, but when I am taking a, uh, unless it's on the internet and I'm on some kind of VPN situation, yeah. uh, I just figure Google knows everything about me. <laughs> and I don't answer surveys, honestly, sometimes if I'm like, well, I don't benefit, I don't, there's, I don't get anything out of answering this, uh, honestly. And there's a, you know, point zero 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 one percent risk of something terrible happening to me if I do answer honestly. How often have you sped while driving a car? Oh, I don't know. Pretty often. Do do do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so it's somewhere between twenty and eighty percent. Uh, I would estimate it to probably be about. Um, well, I'll get into that in a second. Okay. So let's look at some other uh, studies here. Uh, college dating relationships. They ask them, uh, have you hmm. cheated yet, yeah, basically? So they're you know, 20 yeah. years old. Uh, have you cheated yet? College dating? Yeah. Percentage? Yeah. 30? 70%. In the 70? 70%, yeah. Oh, my God. So, so this is interesting because when you ask college people, have uh -huh. you cheated yet? They're like, it, lifetime prevalence, they're like 70%. But when you ask general population it ranges from <laughs> from 20 to 80 so oh my God. so if you've all, if 70% of people have already cheated <laughs> by the time they're 22 then you add on another 10 years it's it's right. got to go up from there so it seems like uh which I'll get it to in a second and also similar rates among genders uh, is is important okay so if you're in college right now and you have a girlfriend or a boyfriend just know you're being cheated on. <laughs> well, lifetime. Lifetime. Not. At least once a day. Well, so that, to be specific, if you're in college right now and you're in a relationship, and all, there's a high, high likelihood that either you or your partner have cheated before, whether or not it was on the current relationship. Right. Is, uh, uh, so they looked at, there are some, so 
in as time goes on, the women rates are catching up to the men men's rates, mm-hmm. and uh, in some contexts, like in college, they're they're basically the same. Uh, so now, when they ask current marriages and couples, current couples, to uh, they just like, okay, we're going to define infidelity not as just having sex, but <laughs> as anything that would your partner would be really upset about. What percentage? would people said this is current relate so this isn't lifetime right. this is like the relationship i'm in right now right. it's uh, still involving a lie though or just yeah just things that they'd be upset about but like lie related like yeah. deceit yeah well geez yeah like, 80%. like like my partner has told me they don't right. want me to look at porn but i do right 80% yeah uh, and i don't know if porn would but it's pro- probably all related to other people like I flirted once while I was with my friends in Vegas. Right. And, or I went to a strip club. Some, some, I'm like guessing. simple things. Like I went to ninth base with this person. <laughs> what would possibly be ninth base? Let's be, it's before 10th base. It's not that bad. <laughs> it seems like there'd be some kind of surgery involved <laughs> in ninth base. Uh, um, yeah, 80%. Good. So it's real close. 75% of men and 70% of women. Um, so again, as as time goes on and as hmm. we uh, r- work on sexism uh, and uh, women's rights, they're starting to get up. You ain't nothing but a hound dog. <laughs> right. So, so current relationships, according to this one study, 75% of people Oof. have said, yeah, I've done. But if you think about all the things, sure. like you had a bad couple months in your marriage. Right. And you started texting with your ex-partner. Because this is still lifetime. No, this is in the current relationship. Well, the lifetime of that relationship. Of that relationship, yeah. Yeah. So 75% of people. So so looking at the camera again, uh, if you're in a relationship right now and it's, say, more than a couple years. Days old. Yeah. (laughs) Then 70, you have a 75% chance that that you and your partner have done something that is untoward, which is, which is not pleasant to hear. <laughs> not great. Yeah. So um, we should all just be okay with it. Well, <laughs> relax. We'll, so we'll get into that. It's like, what does it all mean? <laughs> Why do people do these kinds of things? That kind of thing. So, so here are the stats as I, there's no way to know, but based on all the different studies, I would suspect that nearly everyone, 98% of people, have cheated at some point in some way. And probably half have cheated sexually. Right. And the other half have also have cheated non-sexually, but in, in pretty significant ways. Right. Um, and maybe about a third of current relationships have some form of infidelity um, with either partner that's sig- that's significance because you know the 75 percent is like you know so if you found out that your partner was sort of flirted while i'm just trying to think like what was involved in the study anyway there's just a lot of infidelity yeah <laughs> so um whole lot of loving going on yeah well, so it reminds me. I don't want to equate it with love. Actually, I want to. I want to equate it often with dysfunction, which we'll get into in a second. Ah. 
Um, it, it does remind me of the South Park uh, Devil and Chris and Saddam Triangle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, devil. Relax, guy. Look over there. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so couples therapy percentage of couples who come in for cheating. What do you think percentage wise? Couples therapy to come in. Oh, she's yeah, seventy percent. Good, sixty percent according to this one study. That's pretty high in my experience. Really, the couples that I see certainly some do come in for infidelity, but not most. For money, sure. what else? Conflict, conflict, distance is yeah. the main reason. Uh, some come. In fact. I, th- I can only think of one couple out of probably hundreds who came to me exclusively exclusively for infidelity. And even mm-hmm. they had other issues that we worked on. But anyway, what do you think the ric- risk factors are that we can study through science, things that we can identify in people that make them at greater risk of being, you know, unfaithful? unfaithful. Well, um, if you listen to the Episcopalian pastor of the church in Tacoma I used to go to, if you're Latin, you know, if you're a Latin male, it's a high risk. Oh, God. Did oh they really God. say he, that? He told me that to my face. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's crazy. But anyways, uh, you know. What'd uh, you do? I, did, I was young. I was like, uh, oh, okay. What, what context was that even in? It's just like, it, it, you know how they have youth groups and things like that? It's yeah. like. Just like, you know, you, you Latin males got to watch out because you're unfaithful and blah, blah, blah. My God. It's like, I mean, he caught me with his daughter, but that's why he was saying it. But <laughs> just kidding. You're being a faithful to him? I was being yeah. um, No, I, I risk factors might be, you know, if, if there's already a strained relationship, like for other reasons, like let's say that um, – Let's say that there's complications like there are money problems or there are other stresses like people like a deployment in the military or someone is working very long hours or is traveling all the time or they have um, mm. or one of the partners is sick or one of the, you know, like things that put strain in the relationship. Right. So moving could potentially create strain in the relationship, but not always. Uh, but the general thing you're saying absolutely is uh, – Low or sorry, um, declining relationship satisfaction. Yeah, declining sexual satisfaction as well. This is a pretty big one. Yeah, if a lot of people are, take it from me, uh, someone who talks with a lot of people about this issue over the past twenty plus years, are in marriages that they're not quite sure about, mm. and or relationships that they're not quite sure about, and they've been not quite sure about for a long time. I see. We tend to have this notion in our society that when people – they're either in a relationship or they're, they decide they don't want to be in it and they break up. Right. There's a third mode that is extremely common, which is I'm not sure about this relationship right. and I've been here for seven years. It's, ex- it's very common. That's uh, probably like being in a job too, you know. Like a lot of people, you, you think, okay, that person works there. They that like person it. stopped working there. Right. And until they stopped working there, they were great. <laughs> right. And, yeah. and if they wanted to leave the job or the marriage, they would have, right? Right. <laughs> uh, but it is not the case. In marriage, people will – there's a, there's so many reasons why they they they're unsure what to do. Right. There's so many consequences to divorce. If you have kids, right, right, right. Uh, you're, what if you never meet anyone any better? Uh, 
all those kinds of things. And there's just no way to know. And so a lot of people just, they just sort of coast. And then there's this sense, societal sense of like, a relationship that ends is a failure. Right. You fail. Right. We, we even say that sometimes. And so when yeah. I hear clinicians oh, say it, fail? <laughs> well, it's a failed relationship. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, how, how did you, if, if, if that's the way we want to say it, then we're all failures. Right. Because everyone, aside from 0.01% of people, have been in at least two relationships in their life. Right. And so uh, it just, another way of putting it, it's just ran its course, you right. know, failed marriage, these kinds of things. Well, there's, there's even, just think about it in, in just our, our normal relationships. Someone comes, a friend of yours comes and So Jenny and I finished this weekend, and you're like, oh, what, what went wrong? What, what happened, right? And it, it's just natural. It's right. like, it was supposed to last an eternity. Right. You were supposed to get married with the person that I knew that you were with. Right. That's the way it has to work. Right. <laughs> Instead of it, the narrative just being, well, yeah, we just decided it. it the, the idea of a relationship running its course is really foreign, but one that I yeah. absolutely believe. Think, people out there, think back on all the relationships you've been in, uh, if you've been on been in relationships, I suppose, and think back to one that was, say, three months long. Well, how long was that relationship supposed to be? <laughs> well, and did you have any good times? Well, yeah. if it was three months long, you probably did because yeah. you wouldn't have let it go that long if in all likelihood. So, but at a certain point, the bad issue, the bad issue sort of caught up with it or you realize that you had some fun for three months, but it, it, you weren't really into it lasting. And that was it. Yeah. Uh, that, so that relationship was meant to be three months long. And there was, there was no failure, and there's, there's nothing to be ashamed of. There's no, no harm, no foul, as long right. as no one harmed or fouled in the process. And you just say, I guess I'm not into you anymore. I don't want to be with you. <laughs> yeah, imagine like you're in college. And you have some random roommate for a year, and then at the end of the year, they move out. And you're like, yep, I've, my roommate moved out. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm so, so – what happened? I have a failed uh, roommate. <laughs> you were supposed to live together yeah. forever. Yeah. Uh, so having said that, there's nothing wrong, obviously, with long-term monogamy. Yeah. So the risk, risk factors are, uh, as you pointed out, declining sexual or relationship satisfaction. This is a big one. This is a big one I see in my practice is – what we're talking about right here. Also, low relationship commitment. So some people just generally have, for whatever reason, low relationship commitment. They, mm. they just don't value commitment or they don't value commitment in that particular relationship. There's a lot of roads to that one. Another one is permissive attitudes about sex and or infidelity. So some people just have really permissive attitudes. Like, mm. well, it's like... I, some people might say something like, well, it was just a one-night stand. You know, it doesn't really mean anything. Or she was – she's my ex-wife. We've had sex before. Yeah. It doesn't so really – What's the big deal? It doesn't really matter. We, I'm thinking four-dimensionally here. <laughs> yeah. So uh, – and that can go both ways. So they could actually perceive and know that their partner is a little permissive about it as well. Yeah. You know – that's the other thing we should point out is that there's different levels of intensity regarding one's uh, importance that they put on fidelity. For some couples, the 
hurt and the upsetness might last a couple of days. And for other people, it might mean you absolutely have to break up. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of uh, variance to even how much someone gets hurt. Like, for example, if we just don't think about infidelity, we think about something like getting into a fight with your spouse right. where you have escalated physiologies, you have escalated conflict, and you're both saying, you know, fuck you. No, fuck you. It's that kind of really escalation. daggers into the heart. Yeah. You're you're just an uncaring piece of shit, that kind I of stuff. I never, ever liked you anyways. Right. Well, wow. Uh, <laughs> barring that statement, there are people who will say, well, I guess we're divorcing. And there are other people who will say, what? You know, it was just just yeah. kind of the – I was, I was blown off steam. I, I was upset. Yeah. So similar to infidelity. Some people can experience infidelity. They can, they can be cheated on and it could be totally hurtful and against the rules for them and unacceptable. But they just – they say, well, I mean when I add up all the good and the bad things about right. this relationship, sure, that's a shitty thing. But it's not that shitty. There's, it's there's, not the most important thing. There's something. worse things sure. that could happen to me besides that. And whereas other people might think that's the worst thing. Right. And that's fine. It's just a one-night stand every Thursday and Friday. <laughs> uh, personality characteristics is another risk factor. This is also a big one, which we'll get into later. Personality characteristics, including attachment style, but right. also um, how – psychopathic you might be, mm. how much you care about other people's feelings, that kind of thing. And, and the last one is exposure to approving social norms. Because in some cultural pockets, it's, it's much more acceptable or much more the norm to cheat. Uh, can you think of any cultural pockets that are like that? So, I mean, I've heard about France, but I don't know if it's real. It's like France? That, yeah, that's the, the stereotype is like in France, uh, we all have uh, mistresses, mm. you know, and then... Um, obviously I don't even know if it's cheating. It's like there's the multiple wives in, in Saudi Arabia and in some Middle Eastern countries. Any other cultural pockets you can think of? The the old Mormon traditions of polyamory. That's not cheating. Well, I know, but it was by the government standards. (laughs) It was, it was illegal. They weren't supposed to have multiple wives. Yeah, but... (laughs) To be clear, that's not cheating. And well, it, the we government didn't consider like. that cheating. They consider that illegal. Yeah, but we don't know what it felt like for the women, right? Like, I'm sure, I'm sure it's great for the dude, but <laughs> yeah. Well, I find that in Seattle and in the United States, that rich white men have a cultural pocket of infidelity that's accepted. Of course, oh, really? not everybody, but okay. there's this thing because. What I'll say is like rich white douchebags, I mm-hmm. guess, is the term that I would use uh, lightly, which is men who um, have a lot of money and they like their power. And when they get together, they culturally speaking among certain um, – like I know rich white men who can meet another rich white man – and without knowing that person pretty well, assume that they're both okay with some dalliances. I see. But I know those same rich white men in Colombia, and they're not rich or white. <laughs> so right. I think I, I might be a man thing. 
No, I don't think it's a man thing. There's there's a lot of as we look from the data, yeah. men and men and women cheat. Well, it might be a man thing because we associate with men about that those topics more than we do with women, like because we're men. Yeah, but and so my point is that uh, there's a equal distribution of mm-hmm. men and women who despise and would never cheat based on their own values mm-hmm. and in their cultural pockets. It would actually be frowned upon for men and women. It, that's, from, that's what the data shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story goes that's what men are like, but the data does not show that. It, women cheat just as much as men do, essentially, especially as we move into the future. So, uh, But rich white men specifically. Now, I have contact with them through – uh, personal contact, and I've just seen it. I've just seen this, this like, right, this like. Um, I don't, I don't know how to describe it. But, but, but my my pushback is that it's it's just okay with them and their buddies, right? That's the the cultural pocket in question is them and their buddies, and I'm saying like, I think but that's a cultural. There are pocket. types of guys who them and their buddies. But I don't it's think, okay for. I don't think it's types of guys. That's the assumption. But I think they are uh, influenced by their culture because rich white guys tend to hang out with other rich white guys. They go on trips together. Sure. They, they hang out at the golf club together. They, um, you know, but so they, do they rich t- black guys. And so do, but I, I don't, I don't have guys. contact with rich. That's black what I'm guys. saying. I think you and I have more contact with certain kinds of people. And so we see what we see there, but, but I think it's specific to rich white guys uh, and maybe it's specific to rich black guys too. I don't know. Maybe it's specific but, to when you have money so you can afford infidelity. So I think that's part <laughs> of it. I also think another part of it – so to – yeah, and you can afford to cover it up. And you can – so I think one of the things that rich white guys experience is just tremendous privilege, right? And they uh, – at work, they're treated like a god. At uh, In their home, they might be treated really well. In society, they're treated really well. And they just walk around with this sense that there's really no pushback on their behavior. And when you get them together, then certain impulses become uh, sort of pop up without any pushback. And I, and I've seen it happen. I've I've been in amongst them, you know, and seen them feed off of each other. And it it's interesting to watch. Is yeah, the thing. I, I just I agree. I just I've I've been in the same thing with Asian guys. Colombian guys, with white guys, with guy guys, <laughs> well, and gay and, guys, <laughs> and I've seen it in, in in women too. Yeah. So, so you know, maybe it's I have no study or research to back this up, but um, I just suspect if we did have the ability, which would be impossible because you'd have to ask people to be honest mm-hmm. about this sort of thing, that they, we would find certain uh, demographic groups, meaning either rich and or race or this kind of thing that are a little bit more likely than the average to engage in infidelity. And we would be able to hypothesize that it was because of a cultural pocket and the, the similarities in that group. For example, if you are Mormon, you're probably less likely to cheat because of how, or whatever religion, you're probably less likely to cheat because of how uh, important uh, sin and God sees everything, so you're you're never going to get away with it. Uh, you're going to see less cheating, and and I think that's that, borne out in the yeah. data. That's that can't be. That I, I that think I it can't. is. I think I can't, it is. I can't believe it. First of all, majority of the world has been uh, Christian of some sort. 
you know, for the history. And it's not since, a majority say, of the, 2000, uh, majority of the world. For the last 1500 years, the majority of the, the world, Western world. Sure. Um, you're talking about Western world. Yeah, right? sure. Has, but you know, England also owned India and, and but basically India is not Christian. I know, but they enforced Christian values there and all over Africa and all over South America and okay. all over everywhere. Whatever. Right? Anyway, but my point is percentage wise, like everyone cheats. Right. Yeah. It doesn't stop priests from raping kids. It doesn't stop but Muslim. I, I'm ninety uh, percent sure. From, I'm ninety percent sure, according to empirical science. And again, it could be a factor that religious people don't want want to admit it as much. But I can absolutely believe it. That say in Seattle, you take people who go to church every Sunday, and you take people who don't go to church at all. The people who go to church every day on Sunday are less likely to cheat. I don't believe it. I, 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 it's the same kind of thing. No, I mean, no, it's in the data. Well, it's not in the data. You mean like compared atheists compared to Catholics? No, not atheists. But that's what I'm saying. I'm saying like, people who don't generally consider. Why is this upsetting to you? Well, I because is this question. is the same kind of trope that uh, Peterson and uh, uh, all those other assholes push. That's what that if you're an atheist, I'm not agreeing with that. If you're an atheist, you don't have any basis for morality, so therefore you're more likely to cheat. One, we're and talking lie about and a slight effect, right? Sure. It's not as if religious sure. people. It's always some kind of emotional thing. It's not, <laughs> well, with this one, it is. It's I'm not like, as if. No. Which I guess I'm not. <laughs> I, I do it too, but I was wondering where it's coming from. Uh, re- religious people cheat and uh, non-religious people also cheat. It's just probably a slight difference because when you add up all the factors, all the risk factors involved, like you you take all the people, this is averages out over everyone. You take all the people and you and say people in Seattle and, and everyone has the same uh, temptation to cheat, generally speaking, if you just sort of spread it out, all out in terms of uh, you know, whether you're religious or not, you mm-hmm. will have relationship dissatisfaction. Whether you're religious or not, you'll be tempted by an ex-partner or something. Whether you're religious or not, you're going to, you know, have fantasies or something like that. Like all that's the same, whether you're religious or not. The one factor that's different about religious people is you go to Sunday church every week or you're reading the Bible and there's like a lot of talk about being true and sin and all that kind of stuff. And so that's just going to tick it just a little bit because, you know, to the religious person, to anyone, there's a hundred reasons not to cheat. To the religious person, there's a hundred and one. And so that just ticks it just a little bit. But I, I, even though that may be the case mentally, if you look at abortion data, for example, and out of wedlock data, the most religious states in this country have the worst problems. Yeah, but that's not infidelity. I know, but it's related because you could say, well, that tick that makes them not want to kill a baby or not want to have sex out of wedlock, well, that, that did, tick didn't work. There must be some other thing that's repressing them. It, that's, it's that's a completely different fucking mechanism. up their brain that's like making them actually still be as good or bad. Sorry, as bad or worse. It has nothing to do with morality. It has to do with the values that are within that particular group and the mechanisms of control. So, for example... If you are in a religious community that hates abortion, which is a specific kind of religious group, then you're, you're stating you don't want to have premarital sex and you're stating that you don't want to have abortions, right? right. That's, that's the rule. But inadvertently, you're creating more uh, uh, premarital sex and uh, more uh, – well, you're at least creating more, abort- more abortions because – People are also not taught 
any way to have premarital sex effectively and safely right. because you're just like, why would we teach you that? So, so it has nothing right. to do with infidelity. That, that's just that's, – well, or, sure, or even morality. That part me. doesn't. But like – okay, so take Catholics, right? Catholics are taught that as long as you, you uh, pray for forgiveness and go to confession and take communion, you can get forgiven for sins on a regular basis. So it's actually quite convenient because you're like, yeah, I did that, but it's okay because I'll go and confess. And like, it's like an automatic thing. And the priest has these magical powers to like forgive your sins. Mm. Like that doesn't exist if you don't believe in that. <laughs> so what I'm saying is I think that there might, sure, and I, I can attest to it growing up, I certainly had the fear of God in my head about certain things. But at the same time, I think there's counterbalancing aspects that I don't know that it nets out as like they cheat less. I just think that, but the data shows. But what you, you just said, you're not talking about the data between like a religious person and a non-religious person. I am talking about religious person versus non-religious person. Okay. So what's the data? The data from my memory, mm-hmm. there's a 10% chance I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. I'm I'm even more like 99% uh, confident. Yeah. But I don't have it in front of me. That's why I can't really speak to it is that if you identify as a religious person, you're slightly less likely to cheat. I see. But okay. you're not you're not, not going to cheat. Or you're, you're slightly s- more likely to report that you didn't cheat. <laughs> or you're slightly more likely. Yeah, like it's you hard, might, hard to know. Trump but identifies I, as but a I suspect, religious person. But I suspect it's true. Like I said, if you have a hun- everyone has a hundred reasons to not cheat. You, you don't want to get caught. You don't want to get in trouble. You don't want to hurt your partner. You don't want to get a disease. You don't want to – whatever it is. And religious people just have that extra – it's not a it's not a, a better it's – just, it's just one more rule that – if you have a 101-rule group of people and a 100-rule people, then the 101-rule, there's just going to be a slight difference. Um, and it's not much. You know, It's not like uh, religious people are like drastically lower in their rates of, of infidelity from my memory. It was, it was, it was pretty close. Yeah. And again, we're talking about ranges of standard deviation. And so it's just it's, – it, but it, I think it stands to reason. Apparently it doesn't to you. But. Well, it doesn't because of history. So – I obviously haven't seen the data, so I'll trust you on it. But I'm saying throughout history, just take the writing Western world. Everyone identified as religious. Everyone mm-hmm. minus like zero point. Well, 0. we can't. So we right? can't compare it to history, right? But in, we, in but history, everyone at, cheated. <laughs> but we can look at today, right? Over the past forty years, right? And it drive. just didn't stop anyone, is what I'm saying. Like <laughs> it didn't stop anyone from doing anything, right? We're not saying it stops anyone yeah. from doing, but it does add one more incentive to not. And uh, that's why it probably has a role. Anyway, in the same way that these other things have a role, like you know, exposure to approving social norms, personality characteristics, you know, someone who has um, um, psychopathy with, who has low empathy, they're not automatically going to cheat, but they ha- they're just slightly more likely to do so because they have they have one tick in the favor of in that direction of cheating. Anyway, okay, so people out there, I want you to think on your infidelities. I want you to, you know, think of one or two or maybe more times that you have cheated yourself, whether that was something that's quite obvious, like you had sex with someone outside of a relationship that you weren't supposed to, or you had, you kind of had a crush on someone that led to actual behaviors where you were uh, mutually telling each other how much you liked each other, or you were reaching out to a ex-partner on Facebook and, um, you were, uh, you know, talking about, remember that time when we did this and you're sending pictures and, 
you know, dick pics, all that kind of stuff. You're fishing. Fishing expedition. Yeah. But it but there's different I want to delineate between fishing and because I although that's concerning, I want to really look at times when it was actually happening mm. with another person. Okay. Uh, obviously it could be something like a sex worker that's not approved of by your partner or some other kind of thing where it was a one night or a one shot kind of deal anyway. So just think back on your own fit infidelities. And Berto, I'm going to ask you, do you want to participate in this explicitly or would you just rather leave that? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So do you want to tell a story or? Sure, sure, sure. Okay. First of all, I wanted to bring up uh, bachelor parties and bachelorette parties. Yeah. Because we were talking about cultural pockets. Yeah. And there's this like sort of unspoken like, oh, I'm going to a bachelor party. Oh, I'm going to a bachelorette party. And people know people are going to do naughty things. And then the range of that naughtiness varies. Right. right. It's like, oh, and I'm going to Vegas. Again, as you're saying, men and women. Yeah. I'm going to Vegas. Oh, that's going to be a wild time. And then you get back. How was it? Oh, the less said, the better. Whoa, wink, wink. But you're getting married on Sunday. Yep. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then, so now I'm not saying everyone that goes on bachelor parties, bachelor parties does crazy, crazy things. But a lot of things happen. And a lot of things might, if you explicitly discuss them with the bridal power party or the groom's party, they might each, each be upset about the other. So, you know, these things are true. Um, so what I'm going to say is I, my journey in this, and I've talked about this before. When I was little, I was definitely very Catholic. And I... Um, I guess to your point earlier, I just believed by, defa- by default that it's like, okay, one day I will find this girlfriend who will become a wife and it'll be like this grandiose thing. Um, and then that'll be like this person that I'm with for the rest of my life. Now, that's what I had. Like, that was my explicit verbal story if someone had asked me. You know, but my, the models I was looking at all around me were completely broken and dysfunctional. I had, on the one hand, a dad and a mom who split up in very angry, you know, uh, nearly violent or violent terms when I was like two or almost three. Uh, And she went with one of his best friends, right? Then I had uh, an uncle whose marriage also ended because of infidelity and, and all these kind of things. I had another uncle whose marriage also ended because of infidelity and I think drinking maybe or other things, right? Wow, I never I had, thought about how formative infidelity uh, yeah. was for you. Right. Uh, but, you know, and then I have some relationships that I've seen that I've been together the whole time. But then they had their own problems that, like, in my mind, in my mind, the relationship being together for a long time didn't equal, oh, well, that's great, necessarily. Because, for example, my grandparents from my dad's side were together all their life. And those last years that I knew them, mostly, it was disease and house falling apart and all sorts of issues in the household, lots of struggles. Like, so yeah, they were together, but man, it wasn't like this nice little pretty rosy picture. It wasn't like the movie Up or something, you know? All right, so there's that. And then I, I grow up and I have little girlfriends here and there. And then I have my first big heartbreak in high school. Tiny girlfriends? Tiny girlfriends, they were tiny. I liked elves and little, you know. Pixies. Um, gnomes. So then I had my first big heartbreak in high school. And before that, I was... Really like, no, I mean, if you got a one girlfriend, like you definitely can't cheat. You can't, you know, like that's the thing. Okay. So then I go out with this girl and she was ultra, ultra religious. And maybe this is why I also like, you know, she was ultra religious. And, like, and she absolutely was like all over the place as far as infidelity, you know. And, and then that broke my heart and I was like, okay, well, never mind. I guess my worldview is all so not right. Sorry. She was ultra religious. Ultra religious. She cheated on you? 
Well, she she had a chaos whirlwind of relationships with guys. You know, I was. But she didn't cheat on you. Well, I'm sure she did. Oh, I mean, she was she was dating. She was like 17. I was 16. She was dating 25 and 29. Did you know or think that she cheated on you back then? Yeah, absolutely. Not only that, but she told me the guy she ended up going to prom with instead of me after asking me out was a 29 year old that she then said implied tried to rape her or did stuff to her or whatever. Yeah. And like, you know, I mean, like, I don't know the range of what she did or what happened, but the stories were all over the place. I'm just thinking your young teenage uh, mind would have been quite harmed by very hard. first foray into very hard uh, closeness with someone yeah and to realize that all this w- would happen to you as well yeah very harmed and add to that the fact that she was so religious and she made religion such a part of our relationship and all these things and she was part of a community that was very very religious they were the reborn christian kind of community and out of that community by the way many out of wedlock babies came so right. um so that happened. And so then my next girlfriend, I was a dick to. And then my next girlfriend, I tried to be nice to, but then, then that didn't work out. And then my next girlfriend was a Mormon who was like on her way out of being Mormon. And then that was like, she was a wild girl. And then that finally was like, I, something flipped in my head and I'm like, oh, I, I don't think I agree with everything else I had agreed with previously. So are we getting to the infidelity? Now, yeah, because like now I'm in my 20s. committed? Yeah, like now I'm in my 20s. Okay. So, so far I haven't been unfaithful on anyone. Oh, okay. Like, and now I'm in my early 20s and I start uh, going out and then I am realizing, oh yeah, my models were wrong. So first, I'm an extremely jealous person, like over stupid stuff. And then over the decade, I flip over to the other side and I'm like, oh no, this was stupid. I don't need to be this. And then my, kind of my ideals of what what is right or wrong when it comes to... Um, sexuality get mixed up in my head with the abuse that I suffered when I was little. Mm-hmm. So my barriers, my, uh, yeah, like my, my, uh, barriers, boundaries, my boundaries. Thank you. My boundaries get really squishy and weird. So I'll be in a relationship with someone and then I will inappropriately touch someone else's relationship, you know, and that is cheating on like at least one or two fronts. And then, uh, and then I justify it. I'm like, Oh, it's fine. It's like, I don't know. It's just, we're just at a party. It's not, no harm done. No harm, no foul. So but we have at least two or three hurt people around that so situation. So think about one instance of that or them in general, if they're all similar, and which we'll get into. Think about, like, as we go through this, think about why you would have done that. Yeah. Because conscious, consciously, you're just like, well, I don't know. I just felt like doing it. It seemed like the right thing to do. Yep. I'm at a party, and... uh I'm going to, I just want to start kind of feeling up this. And I'm drunk, you know. Yeah, and I want to feel up this other woman. And and I know that I'm in a relationship and she's in a relationship, but. It only makes sense. It only makes sense. So, so let's, let's, so that's consciously, there's, there's, it it doesn't feel like a horrible thing. You're not like, I'm a horrible person, you know, it's more just, and so why would one deny reality to, uh, enact an urge. What you know? Why do we do that? So, right. uh, like when we look at alcoholism, for example, we, we don't say that there's something broken about the person or they they make bad choices. Right. We all we understand that people turn to substances to self medicate 
um, often, uh, often addicts or people who suffer from addiction are, um, I try not to use the word addict, are um, suffering greatly and their uh, substance use is the only thing that gives them a little bit of respite anyway. So uh, what I'm going to go into here are the different types. And so maybe you can think about okay. that, that what type it fits, fits. Now, I'm giving one type, one type of typology, which has to do with psychology and stuff. But there's other kinds of typologies like was it with an ex-partner or was it with a new person? Right. Was it long-term? Was it short-term? The, the, that's not the typology I'm going to get into. It's more like the, the underlying psychology of it all. Okay, so, so uh, let's get into attachment. The, the, this first category has to do with what we call preoccupied attachment, which um, I can very briefly describe as when you're growing up, you're inconsistently parented to the point where you learn that – the way to cope with the inconsistency in the parenting is to pay very, very close attention to other people, particularly your parents, particularly people that you depend on, mm-hmm. and to be um, hypervigilant essentially about their behavior so that you can game the system to make sure that they love you and, and you don't lose them. Uh, that's it in very general terms, and that can apply to a lot of different kind of personality types. But we call that preoccupied attachment because you're very, you're very preoccupied anxious you're 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 quite scared yeah. often and you're you're at any time you're just like okay anything bad could happen any moment and i could lose this person so i, I gotta like really pay close attention and sometimes um this can result in aggressiveness in children and adults where you will get violent mm. like physical violence or where you're very hostile and very mean like where were you i was looking for you and and you'll see people at all ages do this mm. when you're 12 months old and you see an infant doing that with their parent, they will physically hit their parents. It's, it's uh, right. cute because it's, tw- it's a 12-month-old child that can't hit very hard, mm. but it's still a protest of, I'm going to punish you for uh, b- abandoning me briefly. Um, there's a lot of overexpression of negative emotions. There's a lot of active protest to elicit connection. Uh, these people tend – and it's hard to make generalizations because we can't fit everyone neatly into these small little boxes. But people with preoccupied attachment, they tend to – well, why why would they cheat in general? What would be their primary motivation? So I'm, I'm thinking maybe there's this – you know, you need to make sure that you're okay with this person. But then actually you're afraid that you're not and that things are going to end. So then you're like – I need I need outs or I need uh, second like backup plans kind of thing. Okay, so another attachment yeah. figure to latch onto right. in case this one doesn't work out. Uh, that's one. Um, others is to make the partner jealous. Mm, interesting. Uh, which would make sense, right? Uh, also, another one is to make the partner feel bad. It's sort of a punishment. Mm. Like one version is. Um, you're someone is very hurt by a ongoing fight that they're having with their spouse and they are you know they separate from their spouse for a, a time not not separation but they sort of get out of the house and they're just they're really hurt and they're really angry and they want their partner to know how much they're hurting and they don't have an they don't feel like there's an effective way of communicating that mm-hmm. and so some people might cut 
and say, look what, look what you made me do. Some people might go on a drinking binge and say, look what you made me do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you f- through other means how hurt I am by what you wow. did. Another way is to cheat and say, uh, look what you made me do. Uh, if only you had listened to me, mm. uh, I wouldn't have done that. And if you don't want me to do it again, then don't do that thing. Don't mm. do that thing that hurt my feelings. Um, the other is passive aggression, which is a subconscious dysfunctional mechanism that is, uh, you know, cultivated early in life in which you have anger, you have feelings of, of anger and rage, but you have no way of communicating it, even just kind of, uh, through your affect. Like you don't even, you don't show your anger at all, but the anger's in there and you will do things that you know will hurt the other person as a way of just kind of leveling the playing field in your head. Yeah. Even though the other person might not even know you did it because you're doing it so quietly and so secretly, but that can manifest in cheating as well. And that sounds weird, right? Yeah. But it absolutely happens. Like you don't put the fork on the table next to their plate and then they go to eat and it's like, oh, I don't have a fork. And then you secretly are like, that's right, you bastard. Right. Now, the secret part is often secret even to the individual cheating. So they wouldn't say so people in the state which i've treated before mm-hmm. they wouldn't say yeah i'm cheating because i'm so angry at my partner right i mean sometimes they will say that but that won't be their first thing they'll say they'll just what they'll often say with these passive aggressive personality disorder types is they'll say they'll just say i i just i just i'm a broken person and i don't know what i'm doing mm-hmm. they'll they'll kind of say that but it's like well, why, but why are you doing that? Yeah. Like there's a lot of ways. Okay. A lot fine, of <laughs> fine. You're broken. I, I don't think you're broken, but there's a lot of ways to be confused. Sure. Why that particular behavior? And it's so explicitly against your spouse in a secret right. way. So anyway, so the different types uh, within uh, this group are the, are the following that I could think of. One is, is as we talk about the attachment protest. So this is a retaliation, revenge. It's um, you've been injured on your uh, attachment and, and you want to you strike back as a way of saying, hey, you know. Now, this might sound dysfunctional, but this is, it's actually functional for people to do this in smaller ways. Mm-hmm. Like if, say, your spouse is working a lot and really stressed out with that and you're feeling the distance and you've given some leeway, but then you're just like, I can't take this anymore. And so you right. go to your spouse, you're like, you know, we need to have a date night. I feel like we need to connect. And your spouse that's working a lot says something like, oh, I can't, I just can't. Now, there's a number of different functional responses. One right. is, is to sit down and say, okay, I want to get angry, but I'm not. And then proceed to tell how you really feel deep down. That's fine. That's just, that's functional. But a slightly less functional, but still kind of functional is to say, hey, we haven't spent any time together and this right. is bullshit and you're working too much. Like an outburst, yeah. Yeah. That's anger, okay? It's not slapping someone around. It's not insulting. Certainly, right. you are you can go into that if you're not careful. But people do this all the time. We, we react with displeasure, you know, noticeable displeasure when, right. when someone's hurting our feelings and it's to communicate, hey, I didn't like that. And so that's fine. Now, if you believe that none of that's going to work, then you, you have to ramp up or find other ways of, of enacting your anger. And one of them is, is through cheating. Hmm. 
Um, was it that type? Okay, so I, I, as you're saying this stuff, like I think there are combinations. Yeah. So uh, when I think back, there was definitely aspects because there there were two types of things that I now think in those early relationships in my early twenties. In my early twenties, a lot of my behavior was like I would point out other attractive women, and I'd like totally like oh my gosh, you know like I'd ogle or I'd like. Um, in front of your spouse in front of the of my girlfriend at the time you know and like basically and i guess that's a mild cheating yeah and well yeah because it it would hurt her feelings you know and i was like what i'm just pointing out like you know someone that's pretty like doesn't mean you're not pretty you know but i was doing it out of uh in retrospect i analyzed this when i went to therapy i was doing it out of fear of losing her because i had even though in my teenage years, I had somehow avoided uh, some of that psychology. Maybe that's what happens when you're a teenager or something. After the the hurt from that girlfriend, then all these other things came back. And then in my early 20s, all of a sudden, I'm so, totally dysfunctional around these things. So I'm like, you're going to cheat on me. You're going to leave me. I wouldn't say these things literally, right? But in my head. Yeah. And therefore, oh, I know. I'm going to make you jealous. Hey, look at how hot that girl is. Right. So... This is a. Uh, did I have that one here? Um, I mean, I, so you I were guess, saying the making jealous, you know, right, trying right. to make so jealous. It, so I think it's. Yeah. It, I think I'd put that in the general attachment protest. And then, and then the the other aspect that came to mind was um, l- later on when it came to be I'm drunk, I'm at a party, and I'm crossing some boundary. Right. Uh, that one to me, at least as I analyzed it, wasn't so much about like my current partner it was more about me somehow feel i i needed love i needed attention from this female because that would validate me Mm. and you know this is kind of how i analyzed it which i felt was a combination of the the babysitter thing abuse thing plus my mom leaving and some something like that Mm. so me going like well uh I'm in this mode right now where, yeah, I know you're attached and I know I have, I'm attached right now. And then it doesn't, that none of that matters. What I need right now is I need you female to show me that I am a worthwhile male. Interesting. Right. So it's not, so you would meet a woman and yeah. uh, you would, uh, in your head, you're thinking, well, we're not going to get, I'm, I'm, I'm taken. Right and now. she's, and, and it was always. And she's taken. And she's taken. But I want, so, but. In a functional way, you're thinking, I want this person to like me. Yes. Um, because you just, we all just generally want people to like you, but particularly if it's a uh, girlfriend of one of your friends. Right. And you're thinking, well, I, I got to get along with this person because um, I want uh, to get along with my friend's partner. Right. And, and the- because people, people leave with people's other, their best friend's girls, people, uh, you know, abandon people and people abuse people. So in my mind, I'm like, well, let's cover all the bases here. Obviously not explicitly. This is totally in the deepest recesses. Let's cover all the bases. I will preempt any sort of people leaving with other people's uh, significant others by I'm going to make, I'm going to make the inappropriate moves here. Mm. Number two, uh, I'm going to make sure I am feeling loved instead of abandoned. Right. So I think that's (laughs) the key is that you're thinking, I want to, I want to connect with this person. Right. And I, I, I'm, I'm 
so anxious about right. about connecting that I need I need to speed this up. Right. I need a faster road. I can't just like let this germinate over time and trust that in six months we will have achieved the closeness that I'm hoping. I just kind of met this person an hour ago. I need this to happen right now. And uh, one of the, my old things that I learned to connect was that, that someone connect, three. someone connected with me is to actually, you know, sexually cross abuse. boundaries, sexually abuse. And it, and yeah. it worked with your babysitter situation right. because she, uh, you know, whether it's hard to know what her motivation was, but at the very least, as you're being sexually abused, you actually felt some connection with yeah. her emotionally. And it was this secret, naughty, yeah. but but it has a protocol, which is you just grab people and you, you, you sort of get that sort of thing going. And she never abandoned me. And she never abandoned you. So it yeah. it feels like we can, we can both have this little secret thing. And... <gasps> oh, and there was a friend in common. Oh, because yeah. Because my little friend who was the same age, we both had her in common. Uh, I just put that together. Mm. That's a bizarre one. So yeah. it's like, well, she better be attached to a friend of mine because that's how this whole thing plays out. Right. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that was what was happening in my late 20s. Right. So so that's a uh, – so we're framing it in terms of attachment and attachment worry. And uh, instead of men are men. Right. I just want to point that out because yeah. a common explanation is, well, men are oh, men. It's boys. And it's like – yeah, and what? Women do it as much as men. So what are you saying? The other thing is, is deep down, the more I learn about people, the more I realize that all these narratives that we say around sex and gender are completely false. And at baseline, all we're talking about is attachment worries. We all have a need to feel close to someone. And we know through experience and probably through evolution that to be physical with someone is to be close to them. Right. When our parents held us close and uh, maybe even nursed us, we were we were close. We we felt close. When we were left in the crib a little too long, uh, we were we were scared and we were we didn't know what was happening. And then our parent came and picked us up and held us close and we relaxed and everything right. was fine. And when we're forty five years old and we're feeling lonely, we, we have the same emotions. Right. And what do we do? Uh, I, well, I can't go to my spouse because we haven't had sex in, in five years. Right. You're sitting there at the strip club, sitting by yourself. Your drink's almost out. You're feeling alone. What do you do? Right. It's, you it, need to pull out a 20. A, a woman is, a human being right. is saying, I will physically touch you and be close to you at, for $20 or however much it costs. Right. And the seduction of that is is intense right and like if the baby could have raised the 20 for a little <laughs> mommy affection you know like Ma! okay fine here's 20 <laughs> exactly uh so other types are passive aggressive which i've already gone over also escape so some people in this preoccupied uh attachment style are under um, enormous amounts of stress relationally and just in their life and they have very low self-esteem and romance saves them from dealing with it. Mm. So, so say you're in a in a marriage and you're you have preoccupied attachment style because of that development of that coping style, and your your marriage is okay. It's not horrible, but it's cooled off over time. Right. And 
you are uh, stressed out about work, you're stressed out, out about kids, and you, you just don't know where to go. But you know that if you have a dalliance with some cute person at work or uh, an, an, an old flame, that you will have a rush of the oxytocin and the dopamine. Right. And if you like pina coladas. And it'll be a distraction because it's, right. it's very focusing of the brain, particularly infidelity, because it's not only all the romance, but it's all the effort to, to uh, hide it. Right. And it will absolutely distract you from mm. the stress and the low self-esteem and the meaninglessness. And it also has the double kind of benefit, mm. so to speak, of making you feel loved and sexy again, which can help with your self-esteem. So I had, I had uh, an experience like that in, yeah, I think I was like 29. And so uh, I was in a bad spot in my relationship at the time. And uh, a lot of the fights had to do with money and with me feeling, I felt that she didn't support my goals. And then uh, she felt that I didn't care about like her feelings, you know, like I didn't respect her feelings, you know. So for me, it was like goal oriented and for her it was feeling oriented a lot, you know. Well, I, mean, I would argue uh, below that you both were talking about the same thing. Absolutely. I, I meant more like on the surface of it, uh, it was like, That's well, what you're you, saying. You, you didn't listen to me the other day. And in mine was like. Well, I told you I wanted to do this thing and the same thing. You didn't listen to me. You didn't care about my feelings. So absolutely, it was the same kind of thing. But anyways, I, I went to this uh, band camp and, uh, you know, I was doing some music and stuff I just like want that. to pause you. It's so funny how all topics that we ha- talk about have these over, if you just piece together all these episodes, you know, because the band camp stories have come up in a lot of different contexts. That's true. Uh, but other kinds of stories too, you That's know, true. it's just interesting like how in the same story in different episodes can hold a different kind of <laughs> meaning. Yeah. <laughs> well, but it's, it just elaborates on that. That's true. But anyway, so band camp. So yeah. you could make a, a, a super cut of all the... <laughs> yeah. So uh, in band camp, uh, yeah, some girl was... Um, Young, much younger than me at the time. So I was like 29. She was like 21 or something. And she was just like totally into me. And it was completely, I was, I was without defenses in that moment because I felt like my relationship is not going well. And here's this person, you know, if my complaint is, you know, you don't care about my goals. Here's this girl telling me, oh, I'm a great musician. I'm so great, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh my God, this is perfect. And so it was uh it wasn't um a long relationship it was, it was in fact i didn't think of it as a relationship i thought of it as an excuse to get out of my relationship but it was something that basically caused me to cheat and then caused me to end the relationship at the time so baseline you want a close relationship with your current partner and something an ongoing conflict is happening that's interfering with that yeah and you don't know exactly why. You're you're stating it that your current partner isn't a musician or isn't into uh, the exact things that you're into. Right. Uh, was it music mainly? Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I guess that was. Yeah, that was a lot or of it. Creativity it was, in general, but it, was, but it was a lot of it, it was music. Like, and you know, in retrospect, and this was before I went to therapy, right? But it, it, it's like, wait a minute. 
What do you mean you're upset that I spent a thousand dollars on this new guitar? Don't you care about my dreams? Yeah. You know, like, wait a minute. So what if I bought a new microphone when I already had another microphone with money we didn't have? Don't you care about my dreams? So a lot of it was actually me projecting, projecting, projecting my fears of failure, my fears of not being able to do stuff onto her and saying, you know, she's the one not letting me be successful here. Yeah, but I also think there's a lot of other layers to that, too, in terms of, uh, again, being raised the way that you were, uh, being abandoned by your mother at right. a very young age, and having really deep fears of being abandoned, but that's true. But no conscious awareness <laughs> of it and no, uh, no way of really asking, for, you know, like if we could go back to your 29-year-old self. Yeah and talk to you back then, we'd be like, um, uh, 9-11 is happening soon, uh, invest in uh, Google, <laughs> you know. But after that, after uh, those things. important <laughs> details, we would, we would say, um, so I know you're really focusing on the fact that your current partner isn't a musician, and that feels like kind of a, a deal breaker. Yeah. Uh, but below that, and just go with me on this, is... You really just want her to support. You want to feel like she is. She cares about you. You want to feel like right. she is thinking about you and that she has your best interests at heart and that she's not going to abandon you. Mm. Um, and you want her to like you. You want her to accept you and respect you in general. And that's great. But she she just doesn't she doesn't get the music thing because she's not a music she's not a musician. She's never going to get that. But she she certainly can get you. She also is not she's getting a little upset about the compulsive spending by the way you also have a compulsive spending <laughs> problem what no i don't <laughs> and uh so so go to therapy for that and she, and she she actually doesn't know how to react to that she doesn't know how to slow down and say like honey i think you might have a issue with spending instead she because she's right. young too she's just she's just yelling at you about stop spending so much money on like because it wasn't just the guitar. It was also right. like the clothes and the blah, blah, blah. Well, it was worse than, than that because she wasn't even yelling because the mode of interaction was – part of the problem is she made a lot less money than me. And so I would feel just entitled, right? And so then she would feel like she wasn't entitled to bring it up, but, it, but she was clearly upset. And so then I would get upset because I'm like, I can tell you're upset and you're being passive aggressive about it. And that's not okay because I should absolutely be able to buy whatever the hell I want. Right. So, uh, so even her just <laughs> regret, even her being quietly disapproving was so threatening to your attachment right. that you needed to squash right. it. Like. Yep. You know, she just had a little bit of a raised eyebrow. And if you just let it go, she probably just would have been like, well, I'll get over it, whatever. Um, but the threat of that, just that tiny, tiny little disapproval yeah. was such a a threat to your attachment, attachment security that you went on the, uh, on the attack, which is a preoccupied yeah. thing to do. You didn't distance. You'd be like, well, she's just never going to get me, uh, whatever. What you did was you just you targeted it, um, and you you know like a sniper. Like I'm going to eliminate that <laughs> raised eyebrow. Yeah. I, I don't. I know there's something behind that, and I'm going to get rid of that thing. Right. And then you know conflict ensues because I want to get home and be like, here's what I bought, and I want. 
Oh my god, that's you're so awesome. Do more, do more. Right, not because you need adoration uh, per se. I mean, which I do. We but, do, but the basis of that is attachment security. Right. That because when you were four years old, right. a very logical conclusion is my mom left me because I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. I'm not. There's something wrong with me. I did something bad. And right. your partner at the time was having indications that she didn't approve of you in some right. way. She thought you had done something bad. And that, I mean, you know, the trigger. We know where that leads. The trigger is, right. is, is visceral. It's not logical. It's not conscious. It's, it's very visceral. And so, so then you're in this state of, of preoccupation and she's thinking bad thoughts about me consciously you're saying she needs to support me because you also have this narcissistic bent as well which is also a, a way to cope and then you meet someone who happens to be very into music has no baggage <laughs> and you haven't had any bad right. experiences with and it it is uh and then you know maybe a little bit of flirting or something and yeah acceptance uh hopes of connection hopes of now this is the one this is the one that's going to be right for me we're never going to fight it's always going to be good and this person will always love me and accept me because there's these conscious boxes that are being checked Uh, of course there's a lot of other boxes that you have no idea about right right uh but there but there's this conscious thing like this is going to work and from my memory of you describing it other times, there was like a you had an affair with her that lasted like a week or something. Well, so after one, it was the first thing was a one night stand after which I broke up with my existing relationship. And then I kept going with this other relationship. Kind of, I already knew in my head, and I had been pretty explicit about it, that I actually didn't want some sort of long term thing because I had been dating this other person for a while. So I was like, all right. Um, I think it lasted for, in my mind anyways, it lasted for maybe a month, but we saw each other off and on for about three three months. But the infidelity was uh, for a few days in terms of the emotional, not, forget about the one night stand sex, but the emotional infidelity was while you were at the camp. It, it, yeah, it was about a total amount of time from the moment it started till the moment you told, I ended my relationship was about a three day span of time. Right. So, yeah. you know, for that time... I forget my point, but uh, anyway. So, so I hope the listeners understand that this isn't again men are men, or right. people cheat because they're dogs. Or Berto is Latin. Or, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is so much more fundamental and logical. Yeah, it makes sense why people cheat. It's almost always because of some attachment problem. It almost always has something to do with pain. It doesn't justify it, but boy, if we could teach people about attachment and help people understand where it comes from and why they're having their emotions and to have people understand their needs, then people could address their needs more directly. Oh, again, so we're going back to when you're 29. It was like, so I know you love your partner and I know you're really scared that her disapproval is uh, a sign that she's going to abandon you, like your mom did, by the way. And uh, it, if you 
really focus on that and communicate to your partner, look, when you disapprove of things I do, it, I know it's not fair to you, but it feels horrible to me. And so if we could have a space where we kind of talk it out, like I might ask you some weird questions like, okay, I just saw you raise your eyebrow. I'm I'm about to flip out, but could you just tell me what that eyebrow had to do with? <laughs> um, the eyebrow has to do with the fact that you bought another guitar, and it and it's it's um, I don't know. I'm just kind of concerned about our budget, but yeah. you know, you earn most of the money, so I I guess. And then okay, so when you say that, are you saying that you want to abandon me like my mom? <laughs> uh, no, no. I, I love you. I want to be with you. Uh, I mean, if this is what you're going to do, I guess that's fine, but. I guess I'd like to be a part of the conversation, you know, or, or I don't know, just inform me or, you know, some kind of, about, right. oh, so, so you're not saying you hate me and, and you want to abandon me and just send me toys at Christmas. That, that, that you're, that's what you're saying? Yeah, uh, yeah I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Uh, can you prove it to me? I mean, write it, write it down. <laughs> right. So if we could have had you do that at 29, then you wouldn't have the urge. You might have had the urge. You might have been like, oh, that woman's cute at band camp. And boy, wouldn't it be nice to have a partner that was a fellow musician? But you wouldn't have the the enormous drive to connect and feel uh, close to someone and feel accepted. Uh, You wouldn't be walking around with this open wound and seemingly no way to, to solve that pain aside from infidelity. Right. So anyway... Um, other types of infidelity that I thought of are the just in case. This is the like you're hedging your bets. Uh, you kind of brought up this as, as well. Um, the other one is histrionic, which is a I don't like that term, but it's the term that we tend to use in my field. And it's basically a plead to be noticed, uh, to draw the partner closer, and to validate their importance in the relationship. Like Henry the Eighth and stuff. Uh, histrionic history. I get it. Um, the other one is low self esteem and power. So. Some people, they believe they're unworthy of a good relationship. This Mm -hmm. is actually, um, you know, you're not exhibiting any of that dynamic, but there are some people who fundamentally believe they're unworthy of a lot of things, including being Mm -hmm. in a good relationship. Um, So they sabotage? Yeah, they Mm -hmm. self-destruct. And and also they kind of get power out of it because, you know, when you're uh, worried so much about something happening, you'll, you'll, one way of coping with it is to preempt them. Oh yeah, you're worried about being punched, so you just you punch them first. Yeah. That kind of a thing. Um, the other one is a sex abuse trigger, uh, and you kind of talked about this earlier, but and it was a factor I think in in your situation, which is when when you're a young child and your uh, neurons are wired in a certain way that connects, like ooh, best friend, uh, weird relationship with a woman that that we have, yeah, and. Uh, we kind of compete for her, but we're also like best friends. And there's a lot of like secret touching that I don't really understand. <laughs> and, the yeah. t- and the touching is completely uh, non-consensual. And there, there's no there's no checks of like, is this okay? And, um, and by the way, which is a side note, no pleasure for me in any of this. Hmm. Because in all of those interactions, it was never like, oh my God, I love what I'm doing. Like it was never, it, it, that, that's very weird. Like anytime that I've ever been to a strip club, or in one of those situations. And I don't know if it's all because of this, but it's really odd because I never get personally sexual like arousement from it. Well, but you do get attachment security. But I do get attachment security, right? Right. And so so there's all these yeah. associations. And so uh, for other people it could be like uh, 
they were uh, raped when they were 13 yeah. or beyond or, you know, there were multiple instances of, of sexual assault while, while they were growing up and they're in a loving relationship and then – and I've actually seen cases like this where they haven't recovered sufficiently from the assaults and say they go to a dance club and their partner isn't there and some guy who gives off a very strong sexual uh, predator, you know, sort of, yeah, targeting uh, mode goes up to her and, you know, says, hey, babe, and you know, maybe even grabs her or something. Well, the fight, flight, freeze or appease kicks in and because you learned through experience yeah. that if you can't, you can't push them away because that, that'll just make it worse. And you also can't think in your mind about your own needs. You got to just get through the scenario. So you got you to gotta shut down certain parts of your personality just to get through this. Right. And so you shut down your wants. You shut down your needs. You shut down your ability to kind of think through the situation. And all you do is appease the other person because you have this mm. itchy trigger finger based on re- rep- repetitive events growing up that was functional for you because you were actually trapped. Right. But in this situation, you could actually say, get away from me, creep. But your brain has this really quick thing that just like a – like a fuse box that just goes and everything it's just off <laughs> and then and then you appease the other person and then you might even consensually have sex with them right and then the next day you wake up and you're thinking what did oh, i God. just do yeah and because of the abuse and you haven't recovered you feel like a piece of shit anyway and you're just like well i guess i'm a piece of shit uh, yeah so that's another okay so now let's talk about avoidant attachment style so we talked about preoccupied and now let's talk about avoidant this is a, a similar attachment style in that you're uh, mistreated or neglected sufficiently to the effect that as a child you had to develop ways of coping with that distance or mistreatment. And for preoccupied people, they focused on the other person. They were, I'm, I'm going to try mm-hmm. to game the system. I'm going to be very loud when I'm upset. I'm going to be very loving when they're loving. I'm going to be very focused on what other people are doing. I'm going to notice little details about them and I'm going right. to – I'm going to be very scared because I've got to be constantly vigilant about what's going on. The other uh, coping style that kids will resort to is I give up. I I give up on other people. Um, Now, internally, they haven't given up because they still need other people and they kind of know that. But for the time being, they're just like, "Ah, I just, you know, I'm I'm okay on my own. I don't I don't need other people. And in fact, I'm not even going to pay attention to other people very much. In fact, I'm not even going to pay attention to my feelings very much. Okay. So I'm not, I'm not going to notice other people. I'm not going to notice my own feelings. Um, so they end up becoming very uh, self-reliant and very independent. They can become pathologically independent. They also uh, uh, are less likely to express affection, and they tend to separate love and sex more okay. because um, it's just convenient that way for them because it's it's like – well, I won't go into it, but anyway. So these people tend to cheat as a way of of, of avoiding, of, mm. of pulling away from the, – they're hurt and they're scared. And their general policy is, is like, well, I just got to get away. That was awful. Um, run and don't return. <laughs> um, or yeah. e- even, even if it's just uh, mentally speaking. 
also they tend to pull away to prove that to themselves that they have autonomy because they they tend to believe that they're okay on their own hmm. and when that's threatened by some dependency issue that's normal to have with a partner they take some comfort in saying i i don't need anybody you'll hear them say i don't need shit i don't need other people you know and it's like yeah, yeah you do but it feels comforting to believe that for them and they need to prove to themselves by like i'm not calling them back i'm not you know we're, we're done here so I- I, I can uh, I can say I can relate to part of that. Part of it sounds very foreign to me because I think I'm I'm less on on this category personally. But there are aspects. Um, so one thing that I've noticed, you would think that because of my mom leaving, that <clears throat> if a girlfriend left me or something, that I would be very devastated and all these things. At least on the surface, right? But the thing I noticed over the years is. It's super easy when it's a female. If a female leaves leaves me or ends a relationship or doesn't want to deal with me or is being annoying or any of that, it's super easy for me to cut it off and move on. And almost like, like it feels better in my mind to be like, yep, that's right. That's the end of that. Where if it's a guy, it's super hard for me. Like mm-hmm. if it's a friend, like if it's a friend that I've had and they're being weird or they don't want to be friends or they, like that, that one hits me a lot harder and I think about it a lot harder. But for some, but if it's a woman, it's like I developed that immunity or something because of my mom and then I'm like, okay, well that's done and that's bizarre. But so I, as you were saying the thing about, okay, I just give up. It, it, I do feel a little bit of that feeling. I felt it in the past where I'm, I can say, all right, well, I'm done with this, with this female in particular. Um, but what I can't relate to as much is the rest of the description that you were saying. I'm like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds different than my, my experience. Right. So whenever I talk about these attachment styles, people, and I'm glad they do, apply it to themselves and think, well, and many people feel like they have aspects of both. Yeah. I have aspects of both. Um, so uh, it's fine. It's normal. Uh, some people entirely fit in one of the categories, um, and you'll right. hear them talk about, oh, my God, I'm yeah, hundred percent. That's me, and the other one, no. There's I don't have any of that. So yeah. it's fine to have elements of both. Essentially, when you're a kid and you're being abandoned or mistreated, like when your mom left you, uh, there were you didn't just develop one way of coping with that, right? What you, you developed many ways of coping. Some of some of it involved paying attention to other people, and some of it involved saying I don't need other people. Right. I'm fine. Um, so anyway. Oh, like one one story that comes to mind that my aunt has told me. So when I went back, uh, so my mom left at three. I was living in Massachusetts. Uh, my dad moved me back to Columbia for a year. And I lived with my grandparents, my dad's parents, and my aunt, who was his younger sister. So now you're abandoned by your mom and your dad. <laughs> right. For that period of time. Absolutely. So I'm sitting there in Columbia with my grandparents and my aunt. And my aunt, I start treating her kind of like a mom. And she kept explaining, and I'm three, right? So, and then she kept saying, like, no, I'm, I'm not your mom. I'm your, I'm your aunt and all these things. Okay. Well, so two, two things that she's told me that come to mind. One is uh, I, we're sitting there one day at a doctor, and I am in this incredible pain. I have some sort of cold or something. And, and, I, and she takes me to the doctor, and I'm, like, sitting there, like, the living dead next to her. And all these other little kids are playing around, and they're all going, like, mom, such and such, mom, such and such, blah, blah, blah. 
And apparently I asked her, I don't remember this, but this, apparently I asked her, hey, can I, I whispered, do you mind if I call you mom just like while we're here? And she's like, okay. And then I immediately apparently like perked up and started playing. And I was like, mom, such and such, mom, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so that was one thing. And then the second thing is she left. Uh, it's heartbreaking, by the way. It, it, it is. <laughs> she tells me that story. I'm like, oh, poor little Berto. But it was it was interesting that that's all it took to perk me up, too, that that's such an important feeling that I had. Yeah. But so then you have that background of she's kind of there the whole time. I feel at times like she's kind of like a mother. And a year into this, she leaves to move to the States. And so she left. Same as your mom. Same as my mom. And so two things happened. One, a pretty memory, which is she took me to buy my very first record ever, which was ABBA, an ABBA record. And I still remember going to the store with her. But the second thing is the heartbreaking one. She came to say goodbye that previous night to my room. And I wanted nothing to do with her. I'm like leave me i was like yelling imagine a little almost four-year-old that vaya leave me i want nothing to do with you if you're gonna leave me like my mom just go i hate you wow and of course you know she was totally heartbroken i mean well i mean uh uh, you're the suffering yeah i I know i know it's just it's just of course she was trying to like not re-injure me but she it was you know it's her life she was moving on to go to the states yeah so it was it was telling that in that moment i became avoidant you know like fine i'm done well i'm out of here <laughs> right so i'm glad you brought this heartbreaking story <laughs> i don't think you've ever told it in that detail uh which adds even more horribleness to your upbringing it's nice that she was there it's great for a time right but then to have the exact same thing happen Re-injury. um yeah. uh, and how i'm sure family members or even her at the time was like, well, you know, like if, if we could go back to that time, I might even tell her like, you, are you going to be moving anytime soon? Well, maybe, well, you can't get close to him. You can be, you know, good to him, but don't become another mom. (laughs) Don't become like really close to him because it's, it, there might be more bad than good that can happen from that, you know? That's so hard. Or let's find someone that will be there for you yeah. all the time and and make sure that they cultivate that with him, yeah. not not you. Um, and uh, But yet no one thinks about that. I find that, like, no one questions the damage of a mother abandoning their children. Right. But pretty much anyone else, eh, you know, kids, they'll adjust. Like, a father abandoning their kids— a nanny quitting and moving on. Oh right. Yeah, well, that's just a nanny. It's just yeah, it's just a nanny. I, we pay that person. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So their dog died. Who cares? Kids don't care. Kids. Kids forget. Yeah. I don't remember when I was five. Uh, <laughs> grandparents or really anybody who are connected to a three-year-old child, uh, they don't say, "Oh, well, this is a nanny, and we pay them." Right. So, haha, whatever. <laughs> you can become. Uh, in some some situations, more attached to your nanny than you can to your biological right. parents. So I, I find that uh, people uh, we've been we've known about attachment theory for decades, and yet in 2019, we mm-hmm. most people don't follow those principles really. Yeah. And it's 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 re- and and not only is it my little silly thing that I care about in psychotherapy, but like so many things are related to this, like. 
uh, drug abuse, crime, mm-hmm. dropping out of school, uh, divorce, the perpetual nature of abuse and abandonment right. in families, and how if we had some education around this and some awareness around this, we could reduce that rate uh, and start to actually create a pattern of secure attachments because you know secure attachments lead to mm-hmm. secure children who raise secure, secure kids children, and it just yeah. you know and if we could just get that going then our society would be so much better and spending money on i don't know a kind of another tank <laughs> uh, so other tanks other, are pretty secure <laughs> yeah so other things uh related to uh, avoiding attachment the reasons why people cheat are because when we're young and we're avoidant, we have to rely on ourselves. We also, we also have to believe that we are really good. We have to believe that we're lovable and awesome, even though we fundamentally don't believe that. Mm-hmm. And we're depending on the situation, we are narcissistically frequently looking for proof that we are good and lovable. Right. And one of the ways you can do that is through being a sports star or being mm-hmm. a actor is to get that constant applause. Another way to do it is to be sexually attractive, is mm. to uh, score, to get with certain people. And if you are avoiding attachment, then you might, when you're feeling like rejected and down and lonely, you might seek uh, sexual encounters to make you feel like, oh, I still got it. I still right. I, can, I can still get women or I can still get men to have sex with me. So shame, he probably has avoidant attachment injuries. Who? In the movie Shame. Oh right, uh, this is kind of like interesting. Can't get well, so he has yeah, shame with uh, Fastbender. With your boy, yeah. He is. Uh, it's a very accurate depiction of the uh, horribleness of sexual compulsion. Compulsion, and do we know where it comes from? We just no, we know he's a compulsive. Sex. Yeah, I don't remember him going into. He, he there was his, some issues with his sister, sister. Yeah. right? And maybe with his mom. I didn't feel like there was something. I don't remember. I yeah. got to watch it again. But yeah. anyways, great, great it feels movie. like he doesn't care about these relationships. Really, it's just, it's just more and more. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, let me think about that for a second because that's one of the things that we're going to get into is is the compulsive people who are mm-hmm. that way about sex. Certainly compulsions can develop in a lot of different ways, and I suspect that for some people it's developed as a um, neurological uh, dopamine oxytocin hit regardless of attachment, but maybe in lieu of attachment injury. That's what I'll say. Anyway, another avoidant attachment thing that people will do is they will want to sabotage the relationship because they want to return to the safe, the quote-unquote safety of isolation. Mm. So that's another reason. So for avoidant people, they're often – they can be quite lonely. Uh, avoidant mm. people tend to be quite if, – if there's a theme to the avoidant person and they're suffering when they're willing to admit it, they'll just be like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty lonely. Pretty, uh-huh. I feel pretty like no one really cares because they've sufficiently kept everyone at a distance, one. Two, they tend not to tell anyone about their needs. Mm. They tend to be very – quiet about their own reactions to things. When someone hurts their feelings, they tend to either talk behind the person's back or they just tend to like argue inside their 
inside of themselves. And then if you ask them what's wrong, they're like nothing, mm. even though you know something's wrong. And so when you have a, a partner that's like that, you tend to be like, well, I guess I give up. The other thing is, is they tend to come across – avoidant people tend to come across as very strong. Like, oh, okay. Like, like they're, they're fine. They're a cool. strong, silent type. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not rattled. Everything's fine with them. And so narratives will be uh, created by that individual and by everyone around that individual that they don't really need anything. They don't need help. Hmm. They don't need they, – they don't get stressed out. Uh, everything's fine. and They're just very strong, stable people. And certainly there are strong, stable people who are securely attached. Yeah. But avoidant people will seem much more like that. Um, they're never vulnerable with other people. They never say, um, by the way, my feelings are hurt or by the way, I'm stressed out. And so that that can push people away. But it's, but what it does is it makes the person eternally lonely because people don't even know that they have uh, needs. Right. You know? So as you're saying that, what's one thing that's coming to mind, I wonder if you know where – do you know where I'm going with my thought here? No. Okay. So as, <laughs> as you're saying this – You haven't given me any, uh, well, any tip of the iceberg. Well, I'm feeling like this aspect. You know how I – you know, we talked about this before. Um, like we'll be in a social situation and I don't get rattled socially easily. You know, I don't yeah. – people can say things. I don't care. Oh, right, right, right. And – and even though people might be hurting your feelings. Even though they might be hurting my feelings. And there's been many times where like people feel like I'm the one who will be able to take the joke, you know? And you so be the butt of the joke. Yeah, and and so I'm feeling cuz you're I'm so what, confident and you know, right. you're so strong. Well, you're fine. You could, he could, he's a big boy, right? Yeah. So I'm wondering if that's a little bit of that, you know? Yeah. Where, where I basically so not in all these other aspects because you know if you ask me I don't say I feel lonely I don't say things like that but at the same time I certainly do some of that aspect which is uh, I don't let people see it's funny because I talk about my my you know anyone that knows me I, I I talk about my emotions on my shoulders you know I wear them on my sleeves all the time I but I don't but think you talk about your needs very much not my current momentary needs so, that's so, true. Yeah, so the narrative is true that you are open about, I guess, your experience and maybe some of yeah. your emotions, but uh, you're definitely not open about your needs. So there's there's a difference. So for the preoccupied person, they might not be quote unquote open about their needs in a in a fundamental way. Like mm-hmm. they might not say something like, "By the way, I feel what you did really hurt my feelings." That's the that's the truth. But so they're not forthcoming about that. Right. But they are noticeably bothered by things. And you will know something cranked that person's chain. Uh, to the avoidant person, you there's no indication, and you mm. kind of fit that bill. So yeah. when you're socializing and you're trying to uh, be acceptable and create attachment security around you, you will incur the uh, – you will create for yourself, even if you've never met these people – uh, by the way, I'm the butt of the joke, and that's fine. I can handle anything you throw at me. And as long as I'm also part of the joke yeah. and I'm uh, a focus of attention is on me on, on a right. certain level. It's like, well, some attention is better than no attention. Uh, but I'm never going to visually express right. the fact that some of this stuff is going too far. Nobody going to break not even gonna, I'm not even going to talk with anyone afterwards. I'm not going to go home and mm-hmm. say – to my family, 
this person really hurt my feelings. Right. Uh, I'm not even going to know they <laughs> hurt my feelings. Right, right, right. Okay. That's a very avoidant thing to do. Preoccupied people will know it hurt. They, they will know, like, that was mm-hmm. bullshit what happened. And you will know oh. on the outside. Uh, now, they won't say, by the way, that hurt my feelings because they don't trust other people to hold that. Right. But they will, there'll be some kind of indication. You know what I just think I realized? I feel like I am more preoccupied when it comes to women and more avoidant when it comes to men. Mm. And because with women, you're more noticeable. I am more, and and I will be like, oh, that wait, wait, that was said. Oh, that hurt me, like or whatever. But with guys, I'll be more like whoop, 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 whoop. And I wonder if it's because I had to. Even though the opposite is true when it comes to breaking up, like with women, you'll yes. break up like that. Like, but, yeah. But with men, you Yes, don't. which is bizarre. But, but he, here's my pseudo analysis. Um, so I lived with my dad, even though for a while I didn't. I, I lived with my dad more, right? And I had to deal with all his flaws and problems and all the difficult things and everything. And, and he was somewhat distant. Yeah, and I had to just like let it be fine. And let all the problems be fine. And I just had to put on a cheery face and move on and be fine. Right. You couldn't even think, maybe I shouldn't be with my dad. No. And I definitely, the last thing in the world I would have ever wanted to do is lose another person. So like, right. I can't lose my dad. So I, I have to put up with the good Anything. and the bad. Yeah. And I don't want to lose my dad. Yeah. Well, what can we do? Let's work this out. I know things have been bad, but it doesn't matter. I, I, I forget everything. Let's just work it out. Whereas with my mom, it's like, Okay, that was that was because I wasn't good. Oh, she, did she say? Oh, she must have said that because I was, you know, like did she send this toy? Not literally, but you know, all these things. And what could I do to get her? No, this is it. I'm done. If she's not in my life, she's not in my life. You know, like it's weird, but that may be part of the yeah. underlying drama that played out, and then how it manifests. You know, I'll be hanging out with guys, or if it's in a party, and if like the guys are ribbing me, I said, totally cool. I can take it. I'll dish it back. That's fine. But more importantly, because forget the parties, if a friend of mine, you, you know this historically, will treat me poorly, be like, yeah, but that's okay, but I'll forgive him and then I'll go forward with it, right? And uh, because I can handle it, I'm, I'm fine. Nothing gets to me. Right. Nothing gets to I, I'm right. the sort of person right. that everything's fine. That's yeah. the narrative you have. Yeah. But of course, that can't be right. possibly true. And that's you've learned more about that through therapy. Right. Um, and uh, I would say you're still kind of on that journey. Oh, yeah. Right. I'll be there till I'm 100. Um, the other uh, uh, sorts of infidelity that might happen. Uh, so the loneliness type of just like. I'm lonely. I need I need some kind of connection with somebody. Uh-huh. So I'm going to cheat for that motivation. Another is the compulsive, which we talked about, which is often associated with avoiding. You know, when you're neglected, you're more likely to develop compulsions. Uh, addiction is also something that could be talked about. Um, also, narcissistic things like I'm entitled. I deserve better. Mm. Um, also, narcissistic like. I want that person. I'm going to have that person. I, mm. I deserve that person. And when you're really self-focused and you really need to uphold that defensive structure around I'm awesome, I'm, I'm attractive, uh, I can do no wrong, then you don't really have any mental space to think about how much you're going to harm another person, mm. uh, you know, your, your, your spouse. Again, deep loneliness and insecurity uh, with a very thin veil of narcissism on top of that. 
Uh, another one that I thought of, uh, and I'll just rattle these off, the, these last few, are gender inferiority. So some people might feel like they're not a good enough man or a good enough woman. Oh. And uh, you know, a good man can get, a, can get any women. And a good woman can get any man. <laughs> so you need to prove it. You need to, right. Yeah. So if you feel like you're not man enough for some reason or you're not woman enough for some reason, then you could resort to uh, infidelity for those reasons. Also, uh, now, so these other, so we've been mainly talking about like, and by the way, again, I just want to return to the original morality discussion of like, just because I'm talking about the, these as being logical, attachment based uh, explanations, things that we could have some sympathy for, it's still a wrong act to deceive other people, particularly right. people close to you. And it's a wrong thing to do to knowingly do something that you know is going to harm another person. It's right. wrong just because we have explanations for it. But I I can do this with almost anything that's quote-unquote bad that yeah. humans do, murder included. And so uh, it, it's still bad and it's still condemnable, but – when we, but it's not. It doesn't derive from evilness or something flawed in your in your morality. It's um, I don't know. People like these kind of analogies, but the volcano killed twenty thousand people in Colombia in the eighties. Twenty five thousand. Really? Yeah, actually, it's like twenty five or thirty thousand. It was huge. Volcano went off. Huge uh, slide down the mountain covered a whole town. Twenty five thousand people dead. Oh my! I, I never. That's like a in like, like eighty four. Wow. Did they excavate it? Uh, I don't know. They dig it out? I don't know. Like uh, like Pompeii? Yeah, I don't know. It was horrible. My point is we can explain why the volcano did that. We can explain the slide. We can explain the physics, the mechanics, the geology, all these things. It doesn't change the horribleness of what happened. Right. And then when it comes to humans, it's even worse because we have at least superficial agency. So it's like, you know, to your point... <clears throat> It's one thing, like, if I could go back, I wouldn't do all the same things now that I know what I know. Right. It, just because I can, you know, and I do want to clarify that because a lot of times I'll be saying something and I'll laugh about what I did or whatever. Um, I'm not trying to justify, you know, things. It's, it's more of this is where I think it came from. And, man, I wish I could have done this differently. But at the time, I didn't have any better information in my head. Right. And But I think it's – so I'm glad we're kind of getting into this a little bit. Not only – so – in some ways, we could look back on your infidelities and actually say, well, it kind of makes sense as to why that happened, given right. all the traumas you went through and given the fact that it's not n normal for a 29-year-old male in our society to go to therapy. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, so it's – what else were you going to do? There was – it was going to – something bad was going to happen. The volcano was going to explode. Yeah, whether it was infidelity or yeah. something else like – Something had to give because the amount of suffering you were going through and yeah. the total lack of awareness and total relative lack of abilities to deal with it. And so, I mean, in some ways you could be congratulated for not doing worse things, you know, because right. we know people that can do worse things than that. So uh, in some ways it does kind of relinquish responsibility, so to speak. Having said that uh, – in those moments, you could have said no, and yeah. you, you, there could have been a more functional. There, I'm sure you had some other way of look. There's got to be some other way to make this happen. And and because if you have to draw a line, you have to. Meaning, um, 
like you were saying, you could technically draw this continuum about everything, but we have to have consequences in our in our society for the society to function. Well, so when it comes to things like this, like we can still say, look, yes, I I know that in the moment I thought, yeah, it's all okay, but just like here's another example. In the moment I thought it's all okay for me to walk into the store and buy a super expensive piece of something, right? Like I thought it was. But I was having two conversations at the time. It's unfortunate for me that the wrong conversation won out. But sometimes in life, that still means you have to pay the consequence. Your credit card was maxed. You, you damaged your credit. Whatever. You know, oh, like, I see what you're saying. Overspending. And, and you could say, well, that's, un, that's unfair. Yeah. Well, it's unfair to the victims too. <laughs> uh, so certainly there's a victim to infidelity yeah. for sure. But I actually, as I, you know, I think I started this conversation being, or this line of thinking being a little bit like, well, there's still, you know, you're still responsible for what you do. Certainly that's true. But I'm even edging more towards this end of the spectrum where it's like, so this is relevant to this topic, which is that when I treat people for infidelity, what I often, well, what I always try to do is do what we're doing right here where the person who was cheated on, the person who did the cheating explains where they came from, but we actually analyze where that actually came from. Mm. And so that the cheated on partner can have a correct narrative, which is probably a much better narrative Mm -hmm. than the common narrative that I'm not good enough, I'm not sexy enough, my partner didn't love me enough, my partner's a bad person. I made the wrong choice. I'm a stupid person for even putting up with this shit. I'm a flawed person for even liking this. You know, those are the typical uh, narratives because that's kind of what society teaches people. You yeah. know? Uh, people who cheat are bad people right. and they're narcissistic out for themselves. And when we actually look at infidelity, and in your case was a good example – and, and some of your infidelity was actually abusive to other human beings as right. an adult. So it's not just infidelity. It's actually like a s- sexual assault right. on other people. So it's wrong. It's potentially even illegal, and that's fine. We can, we can uphold that. We need to have those lines. But at the same time, when we really understand this stuff, a lot of things open up for us. When we really look at this and really analyze it, one, as we're talking about, the individual who has the urge to act in wrong ways has a roadmap to fixing their problem and not doing it. The only way at 29 you could have avoided having the affair with that woman at band camp, <laughs> such a funny statement, um, is for you to know why you were having the urge to begin with and why you were having troubles with your partner to begin with. And that all has to be understood through an attachment lens. Yeah. So not only what is the path to wellness for the individual through understanding, and often you're looking back at past infidelity and saying, oh, that's why that happened. And in the future, if I don't address that, it's going to happen again. The other is for the cheated on partner to understand why that happened for them, again, so they can, they can have a better narrative. Even if they break up, at the very least, it's just like, oh, it didn't really have anything to do with me, yeah. which it almost never does. And if, in fact, you, one could say it never does. And that helps them not be injured in their own ways. Right. Yeah. They're not – it's like, oh, well, they have a problem essentially and I'm still angry and it's bullshit and uh, I'm not going to put up with this. I'm going to leave. Right. But I, I'm not going to 
I'm not going to narrativize it as some kind of fundamental thing about humans that they don't care about other people, which is a frequent conclusion. Right. And so, so, so but, but if you stay with the person, which I often, you know, am treating couples like that, then you have a, as a partner to the, to the cheating partner, you have a roadmap to making your relationship better so that the, the infidelity won't happen. Because a lot of times after being cheated on, uh, there's this anxiety of, well, I thought I was doing a good job before this yeah. and something went wrong and my partner cheated on me. So now what? What am I doing? What am I supposed yeah. to do? Well, the common solutions are what? Like, um, I don't know, actually. <laughs> Being hypervigilant and like, sure, I need to see your cell phone. I'm gonna, oh, I see. I, I need see. you to check in with me. Yeah. I'm going to watch you like a hawk. If I see any sign, I'm going to pounce. You can't go to parties by yourself. You can't go to parties. Yeah. You can't have friends. You can't have a personal email. Yeah. yeah, It's control, which can actually be somewhat functional in the beginning of recovery, but it's not a long-term solution. Right. And this gives an actual accurate roadmap to when your partner seems a little distance for a couple months, maybe they're actually – uh, uh, really sad and lonely on the inside and not getting their attachment needs met. And, you know, and let's work on that because that's a, that's an, uh, a very effective way of staving right. off infidelity that doesn't involve control that actually involves addressing the real problem. Yeah. So that's why it's important to see it th- through these, through this lens. Again, it's wrong. It's immoral. It's harmful. Uh, but it, it's in the same vein or in the same category of telling your partner to fuck off. Yep. That's wrong. That's immoral. That's You're trying to harm the other person. Yeah. Uh, but it, most of us can understand that anger outbursts in the middle of a conflict uh, are excusable under certain circumstances uh, depending on your situation. But you know, all of us have – gotten heated under a collar and said something nasty to our partners mm-hmm. that we regret later. And we don't say like, well, the marriage is off. Right. And we don't say like, well, geez, that person is flawed. There's something wrong with them. You know, the other thing to point out is, again, to return to the data, most people cheat. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, if if cheating indicates something seriously wrong with people, then, you know, everyone has that issue. Yeah. One way to think, I like uh, how Sam Harris kind of thinks about not only cheating, but just crime and, and, and punishment in general, um, which is along the lines that, look, if you analyze it to the nth degree, it's like, yes, we are following programs and we only have so much control over our program at any given time. So um, us getting super upset and saying this person's fundamentally evil and it's that the universe made them evil and it's it serves maybe a temporary relief purpose, but it's not real. And in reality, like one way I would like to think about it, which is this. Imagine that all of society is a program that we as society have written. Now, if you write a computer program and you run it and something goes wrong, uh, you don't – well, you might, but you're not supposed to go, God damn, C++, you're evil. You were born evil. This program is evil. No, it's like, okay. I made some mistakes here, right? Right. So similarly, when we're running our little society program and someone... Or is, running our individual personality program. Uh, right. And, and someone who's 12 hits another person, right? We're like, we could say, oh, that's an evil program line. Or we could say, oh, okay, rewind the program. What happened? Right. Ooh, we should have intervened. Oh, we should have... Well, what can we do now? Yeah. So that in 10 years, we don't see an even worse situation. Unfortunately, we don't have that system quite 
figured out and in place. We and, do kind of. We just don't. We don't have it in place. Yeah, yeah. We don't have it in place. I mean, we have the we have the tools and the science and a lot of things, but we don't have it. Uh, valued enough, I guess, and, right. and prioritized enough. And, now, for some people, yes. Yeah. For some people, do. Like, there's a 12-year-old kid who punched someone who absolutely has a support system and an yeah. authority system around them that views the world as you and I are right. suggesting and effectively uh, look at the code, right. so to speak. Having said all that, uh, which I, I think it's a wonderful analogy, um, you, you know, we have... There's a problem of equating human beings to code because that isn't, you know, accurate. It's not That's, an accurate like. Per, but 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 right. but the but making the analogy to uh, cause and effect, I think, is is correct in that when you have a uh, and a lot of the cause and effects go on without you noticing them, kind of the way code does, and so. So by looking back at those and trying to surmise the cause and effects prior to a bad act, we can yeah. uh, address the, This those. is why I said society because I didn't want to rat hole on that discussion. I just wanted to say like as a society, yeah. we could tweak this parameter and this right. educational thing right. and this psychology and this, you know. Right. That's how I think yeah. about it to yeah. be specific. If we as a society, all of us and teaching young people about understanding their attachment needs and the typical pitfalls right. about that, that's tweaking something. Right. That, that's, that's, uh, you know, it gives a little bit of a checks and balance or it gives a little, a little editor in behavior of like, I have the urge to yell at my partner because she raised her eyebrow about me buying a $1,000 Strat. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember learning about attachment theory right. Does this have anything to do with attachment? <laughs> Am right. I is this is her raising eyebrow have something to do with um, me worrying that she's going to leave me? I know it doesn't feel right in the moment, but is that a, is that a thing? Well, do you know what my professor in dating class in Columbia used to say to me? <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. I didn't have a dating class, but imagine if actually you had a relationship class, a yeah. lot, not one semester. The whole way through. Yeah. And absolutely, you, you talk about your history and your past, and they realize early, you know what? This little kid, yeah. he's going to be a candidate for these kind of things. Why don't we give him tools now? All the kids. And every year. Yeah. All the things. Yeah. I've been on this soapbox before. We teach years and years of math. <laughs> and uh, you and I love math. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You were a math major. Yeah, yeah. I was almost a math major. I, w- I was engineering for a yeah. while. I, I, I was one of those people who voluntarily took math classes. Right. I, I, used, I used to read physics and math books while I ate my cereal in the morning. We ate cereal. I, I screwed up. We ate physics and math for breakfast. <laughs> yeah. But like no joke, I would go to the store and buy uh, physics and math bo- books and read them while I ate to entertain myself. Right. Like normal people read <laughs> like National Geographic's uh, book, uh, magazines. No, no, no. I, no I'm people reading, magazine. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm flipping through calculus right. books because in physics, I'm just like, that's interesting. So I get that, but... Uh, but it wasn't as useful to everyday living. Yeah, like right. it's just so not relevant <laughs> to the vast majority of people. Right. 
up to a certain point. Like, yeah. obviously, you need to understand the fundamentals. And, and I think algebra is a good thing to learn. Sure. But I learned algebra in the seventh grade. I mastered algebra in the seventh grade. I didn't <laughs> yeah. need any more math after that, unless I was going into a STEM field, which I thought I was, which is fine. But anyway, what if we mandated attachment uh, right. uh, knowledge in the same way we did math? We can do that. We would only have to sacrifice a little bit of things that are probably irrelevant anyway. And think of the magic that that would do to our society. I just can't imagine. And just gets me so fucking angry when, when I think about this sort of shit because it's just like if I explain this to those in power, they'd probably be like, huh, that's a pretty good, good idea. But the cultural checks, you know, the cultural barriers in the head will be, well, we can't, we can't do that. We got to hold on to math. Right. We, well, we, but we've been doing it for we've been doing it this way for so long. You're asking us to do it this way. You know, we can't do it. Even though I would totally convince them right. that we would look at the data and and it couldn't hurt at the very least, right? It's not gonna. There's no political thing. It's not pro sex. It's not pro uh, atheism or any. There, there's no connotation around right. uh, liberalism or conservatism about families and relationships and marriage and children and parenting like there's there's nothing there's no hang-ups and not to mention it'll just never fucking happen and it just drives me fucking nuts and we're doing it to ourselves absolutely global warming is us we're right. shitting in our own on our own fucking plate and it's just like what is wrong with humans we just we just i mean we have geniuses walking around amongst us who know shit and smart people <laughs> that that are looking to the more smarter people going that's fucking smart let's fucking do it and we just don't do it and we're all going to be dead in 200 years this you know earth is going to be like a a, a a you know a boiling cinder of a thing no attachment disorder then We'll no, solve it. That'll that'll solve no, it. No, I hear you, man. I, I share your pain. Absolutely. Um, more to the point. Like, I don't think if I, I don't think I made any sense. No, you did in this in this sense. Uh, there is clearly a need to have a foundation of a number of facts and abilities that humans need for daily living. Obviously, so you have to be able to spell and read and talk and and some amount of, of math understanding and things. Totally. The thing is that beyond that, our educational theory really hasn't evolved, right? right. It's, it's this thing of like, what is everything that we have in the books in the library? How much can we cram in six years? Why? Well, and it's specific <laughs> books. Right. It's not right. the attachment books. Right. It's not the attachment books. And, and, it, and I've talked about this in other episodes uh, with, with Bob, actually, because we got on this topic, was it's well known that the history of our education system and, and really around the world was to make loyal citizens who didn't talk back to the establishment sure. and to make them productive labor for capitalists. Right. You need them to understand just enough to make them good labor in jobs so that the capitalists will make money. Now, this isn't some grand conspiracy. It's just the truth. Yeah. And uh, we should be able to look at that and say, maybe we have a another idea here. Now, I will say, as I always say when I rail about this, there are teachers and schools who actually are doing what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. It's just way too little yeah. uh, and, and way, too in, way too infrequent. You yeah. know what I mean? Anyway, we got to rattle through this. Uh, 
So other types of abuse. So, so I've been talking about the types of abuse that kind of derive from attachment, but there's other reasons why people cheat. Like some people are being abused mm-hmm. and they don't have any kind of attachment problem and they're just looking for some way to uh, – find respite they're from being that. abused in their relationship yeah so they're being so they're being so you have yeah. a woman she's being physically abused uh, by some her husband mm-hmm. and he is uh, he's also cheating and, and he's in drugs and he's drinking he's coming home after three days of binges and stuff and there's kids and she doesn't know what to do and this so and she starts to cheat she starts yeah. to she meets someone who actually likes her and doesn't hit her and tra- makes her feel okay. And she feels trapped in the abusive relationship. She doesn't know what to do. It, that has nothing to do with attachment injury. In the code, you, you wouldn't find the attachment script. You would just find yeah. like a desperation script or something. Yeah. Um, I mean, I suppose it has something to do with attachment because you know, this woman needs someone uh, to be close to, right. uh, but it's not some sort of attachment injury that's being played out. Um, another is that a spouse has a long-term illness or is dying. Mm-hmm. So in these situations, so say you have a um, husband who has a wife who has um, ongoing cancer and the wife is uh, bedridden or really quite uh, lacking of energy and yeah. um, say not in the mood for sex and maybe not even in the mood for any kind of romantic gestures at all. And this goes on for 10 years. And in the first three years, it's pretty rough. The second three years, it's like, okay, I guess this is my life. The last four years, you're just like, I'm pretty sure she's going to die at some point. Yeah. And I can't divorce her. Yeah. Uh, the kids, it's just like, no. But yeah. <laughs> I, I got to have – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die uh, not too long after that. I need something. Now, it's still infidelity and it, there's probably a way to work that out with the – partner who has cancer and so I'm not going to say that it's justified so to speak but it's a different motivation you understand that right. uh, it, it's not attachment injury based it's it well, could, it could a, a secure person in that situation could potentially feel motivated to do that you know I, I just this is another uh, a case of uh, not having the proper systems in place to realistically tackle the game as it's playing on the ground meaning so you have a situation where you say, well, the right thing to do is for you to not have any relationships for as long as this person lives, and that's the way the, the right thing to do is. And then that ignores completely all of human needs and psychology and things like that. And then you're shocked and chagrined when it doesn't work out, right? Same thing happens with so many things like, we're going to draw this border right here, and this country is rich, and this country is poor, and none of you better come across that border. What? They're coming across? What? How? And it's dumb. It's like, why are we surprised by the laws of nature? Like, so when it comes to this thing, it, we have no language or even ability to even bring such taboo subjects up. It's like, imagine the conversation amongst the family. Hey, so what is Billy going to do for his sexual needs? And like, if, can you imagine that conversation coming up with grandma chiming in? Well, you know, one time, I, no, nothing. No one's going to bring that question up. It's understood. Oh, he's never supposed to have sex again because of... <laughs> It's crazy. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're, right, we're getting very riled up in this. <laughs> the last one, the last different type that I thought of <laughs> that wasn't really included in this is bad polyamory practices. Mm. As people learn how to be polyamorous, they sometimes make mistakes. 
And so that's another kind of form of quote unquote infidelity that doesn't have anything to do with an attachment problem. It's right. just it's just adjustment to like the rules of the game, so to speak. I, I might even actually apply that to uh, mon- monogamous relationships where you um, are single for a long time and then you find that you're in love and you commit to each other. Mm-hmm. And then you're – but you're, there's a certain part of your brain that's still kind of operating as if you're single. Mm-hmm. But you're not quite aware of it. And say you go out with your friends and you're not with your partner mm-hmm. and you're just like, well, you know, I usually – I usually flirt or I usually meet people and talk to them. Maybe that's the way it's framed. When I'm out, I usually like to talk to other people. And and you get to talking to um, some other people and then uh, you, you get a little drunk and it's just all the part of the procedure. And then before you know it, you're making out with someone uh, in your car and you're, and you're thinking, you know, this <laughs> feels natural to me. This feels normal because I, I used to do this all the time. But then the next main morning you wake up and you're thinking, what did I just do? Like right. I've heard uh, cases like that of, of people doing that. It's still wrong, but it's not necessarily attachment related. It's, it's, um, it's say, drunk related, alcohol yeah. related probably, like loss of inhibition and then a reliance on an old script that you just kind of went to that if you were sober, you never would have done. Anyway. Okay, so let's actually get to the patrons' questions. Yeah. So the, que- <laughs> the ones we asked at the beginning here. So – Sometimes a partner who has been cheated on still stays in the relationship. Why, Beto? Okay, well, first of all, there is aversion to change, you know, and there's fear of change. And there's also like hope. I think part of what we were saying earlier is you have this idea of relationships are supposed to last indefinitely. So I got to just make this thing work out. You know, there's hope that you could make it work out. Right. Absolutely. That's a wonderful hope. Uh, Now, if you've been cheated on, you can absolutely break up with the person. That's fine. But there's also nothing wrong with staying, which is framed in our society as there's, you know, you're, there's something wrong with you. You're weak. But the vast majority of people, according to research, who go through an infidelity in a long-term relationship will recover from it or they'll push past it. They'll try to. You often need a therapist to help guide that process because it's pretty, it's pretty specific. And I've absolutely done that with some people. Recovery can be wonderful. Couples, if you're in a 40-year relationship, uh, shit's going to happen. <laughs> and although we shouldn't just say like, well, you know, people people cheat, that's not the, my intention. My intention is shit's going to happen and sometimes bad things happen and mm-hmm. you have to put up with the good and the bad, whether that's cheating or the occasional fuck you or – you know, two months of distance or overspending or whatever, or raised eyebrows. Yeah. It, you know, you, there's bad things and you have to put up with it. Now, for you, you might say, uh, I don't want to put up with infidelity. That's a hard line. That's fine, you know. But for other people, particularly when it comes down to that moment, you know, I will see people who have a hard line. They're like, if, if my partner che- cheats on me, it's over. That's it. Right. I'm done. And then they get cheated on and they, go, okay, so my policy is to leave, but it feels kind of premature to do that because what if, I mean, my partner's pretty, I caught my partner and my partner's pretty apologetic. What if my partner never does it again? Am I just throwing something away? So in therapy, when people actually recover from the infidelity, I have found that, and research can demonstrate this, that the relationship is even stronger than it ever was. Hmm. So 
not that people should cheat to gain that benefit, <laughs> but really what the benefit is, is it was a wake-up call to the two mm. individuals to actually sit down in therapy and start hashing Talk out some, some global issues. So that, why don't we start talking about it first? And then <laughs> right. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's funny. The, um, the thing about – so you, you have this – you were mentioning a 40-year relationship. Imagine a son or a daughter, right? You have these kids – and kids do all sorts of fucked up things, right? Like kids will, where did, what happened to my car? I lied to you. I took it last night to the party after all, and I crashed it. I divorce you. Yeah, we're done. You're yeah. no longer my dad. And, you know, of course, some fucked up parents do stuff, stuff like that. But generally, you keep with your kids because you're family, because you're trying to have this relationship. Right. And yet somehow we treat our, our supposedly our most important partners, our significant others, as like, well, they're disposable. If something goes wrong, I'm out, because right. I will not be. But, 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 well, but that's the attitude. In reality, most people aren't really like yeah, that. Most yeah. people. That's the, that's the thing we see also in TV and movies and stuff. It's like, those are non-negotiable. Like, right. You know. uh, and because it's usually portrayed as if the person cheated, then they're a lech. They're a terrible mm, person. Right. They are um, out for themselves. Right. Uh, they're not – they couldn't possibly love the other person if they're cheating. That That's – and we've demonstrated with you – well, correct me if I'm wrong. You loved your partner even though you cheated on Absolutely. her. Absolutely. Like loved her deeply. Absolutely. And wanted to be with her and there was no ambiguity there and yet you did bad things. Right. So – uh, and now it certainly can be, not be the case as we've yeah, gone over. But totally. yeah. um, now there's other reasons that people stay when they're cheated on. They could be dependent psychologically or even practically. There could be abuse. There could be low self-esteem. Religion can keep people in marriages that they wouldn't otherwise. Culture. Financially dependent too. Right. That's what yeah. I meant by practical. Oh, I see. So if your culture – doesn't support divorce, yeah. then you might stay for that reason too. But anyway, uh, next question. Why do some partners knowingly accept that their partner is cheating? Better? Knowingly accept. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's kind of related to the thing we already said, which is they might be like, well, yeah, but on the balance, uh, there's all these other aspects of our relationship. And so for me, I don't put that as the deal breaker. Uh, because we have, you know, say 10 buckets and nine of them are doing really good and one of them I don't like, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, good. Another, uh, re- other, other than what we talked about before in terms of dependence and uh, another uh, thing that I've seen is some people will create what I might call like a pseudo polyamorous relationship in which one person really wants to be in a polyamorous relationship, like they don't like monogamy. And they have a value or they know them, their own needs to know that they need to be with more than one person. And the other partner is uh, uh, not like that. They, right. They're fine with being monogamous. And the, the poly person who might not identify as poly, but I would call them poly, asks the monogamous person, look, um, can I please get together with other people? And you're free to get together with other people as well. And the monogamous person is saying, no, I don't want you to get together with other people. And I don't want to get together with other people. I just want to be with you. Yeah. And that that can be an ongoing fight. And I've seen this sometimes where the poly person eventually the, – the two people eventually strike a deal mm. where the 
poly person is allowed to do some things under certain circumstances, and the the monogam or the monogamous oriented person doesn't like it, wouldn't prefer it, but puts up with it and right. says, "Okay, fine." Because uh, in true polyamorous relationship, everyone's a hundred percent fine, or for the most part, right. with everything. You know, you you both identify as poly, and you're like, "Yeah, so tell me what you need," um, and there's a negotiation and people uh, enact those those rules. Um, I'm calling this pseudo poly because the the monogamous oriented person, if they had their wish, they'd be no. I would not have this. If, right. But I know that in order to keep my partner, I I have to put up with this crap because um, otherwise I'd lose them according to what they're saying to me. And I also kind of care about my spouse, and I don't want them to be miserable all the time. But yeah, it does hurt me every time it happens. It hurts me, and right. I, I'm not going to lie about that. I just I just hope it doesn't happen very often. Um, Which I equate to like you're in a relationship, and one of the the partners likes episodes one through three, and then you hope it doesn't happen very often. You don't like it. You wish it didn't happen, but you're willing to put up with it. Another question. If someone cheats, does it mean that they don't have integrity in other areas of their life? Are they more likely to lie or shoplift? Beto. Um, no, I, I mean, I, I don't know the data, but I would imagine that that there are never like perfect predictors of like, you know, if you have this problem with your relationship, it means you're also problematic in all these other areas. But could it be a factor or association? I, I will Not say this. Factor, yeah, sure. It could be a factor. Like, especially if it's, if someone's a chronic liar in their relationship, I guess I would be surprised if that was the only part of their life that they were a chronic or but that I, they were, that they didn't care about lying. But I think what she's talking about is like regular kind of cheating. Like, like. No. Yeah. I would say no. Right. So I couldn't find research on it. It's certainly something you could research, I suppose. But. How do you define other yeah. kinds of things like lying or shoplifting? Shoplifting you could define, but lying. <laughs> I mean, from the if it's seventy percent or whatever, people say right. some, it's like we don't have seventy percent shoplifters. Right, exactly. Uh, but I would imagine it would be associated with, or no, research has found that cheating is associated, not all the time, with less conscientiousness, meaning that you're you're not as thoughtful about your plans. Sure, you're more. Uh, chaotic and uh, erratic that. in your behavior and also more psychopathy, meaning you don't have mm-hmm. as much empathy for other people and you're more prone to um, breaking rules. So th- that those personality types tend to cheat and those personality types also tend to probably shoplift and right. that kind of – but like you said, most people have cheated in their life uh, – most people haven't shoplifted, or I wonder how many people have shoplifted. Because I've shoplifted. <laughs> In I, this country, I think it's more prevalent because there was this like cool kids thing about right, shoplifting. Right, I shoplifted when I was four. Uh, I took a Jolly Rancher out of the right. out of the uh, bulk bin. Which for me, when I moved up um, at fifteen, I was shocked because this was not a thing in Colombia. Colombia, it was like. You shoplifted because you were like living in like you were poor and you needed food, mm. right? I I remember when I was nine, I was visiting my mom, and we were at the store, and I really need to go to the bathroom, and I was doing the little kid shuffle, you know, I was dancing around, and she comes around the corner and I stop and she's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "Oh, nothing." She's like, "Show me your hands," and I'm like, "I showed my hands." I was super confused. She thought I was trying to shoplift something, and I was so confused. I was like wait, what? No, I just need to go to the bathroom. 
But then at 15, I move up here, and then that song, uh, the Jane's Addiction, being God stealing once when I was fine, that one, right? I couldn't get it. I'm like, what? Why is this a big deal? And then all like little teenager friends of mine, well, not all of them, but a lot of them was like, you know, oh, I could, I could, I could shop, I could use the five finger discount. Like, what are you talking about? And a friend of mine got caught shoplifting baseball cards when they had plenty of money to buy them. Who? It, I won't say on the podcast, but it was like, blew my mind. That's funny, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, is there, I couldn't find research on it. Is there an association? Yeah, probably, but it, it I, I wouldn't look at someone who cheated and said that they, that that says really anything about their other behavior. Yeah. Um, if someone cheats once, are they more likely to cheat again? Berto, what do you think? Yes. True. Yes. <laughs> uh, Nop et al. 2017 study found that if you've had sex outside of a relationship, you are how many more times more likely to cheat in the future? Ooh, many times. Uh, twice as likely. Three times as likely. Weeks. Now, that sounds pretty bad, but statistically, that's not that big of a deal, mm-hmm. but it is a factor. So if so. If you are with someone who's cheated before, which again is most people, by the yeah. way, uh, then they are three times as likely to cheat again. But most people don't cheat in a given relationship, particularly, again, if you're working on the attachment stuff. Um, and it varies from situation to situation. So, uh, yeah. And the other thing I want to talk about here is that uh, – so, so say someone cheated in high school – with a partner that they were with for two months. Yeah. And then in college, there was someone for like a year and they cheated on that person too, like once or twice. And then later they grow up and they mature and they, um, you know, uh, stabilize, so to speak, and they get married. Uh, will that person cheat or not? Maybe there's a slight more right. likelihood because their history uh, as opposed to someone who never cheated before. Man. But it's not likely. You don't really know. That's the whole thing about this. It's like I think what the yeah. patron is asking is like, how do I know do the I know? difference? Yeah. And how what can I it, predict? <laughs> what does it mean about people? And the, the thing I want people to know, and I hope it's clear, is that anyone can cheat because there's so many reasons for cheating and there's so many paths to having a bad relationship or to have low self-esteem or to have complexes or to have attachment injuries. There's so many, it, it, there's so many things that contribute to that that it, it's hard to predict. But the thing that you can absolutely uh, predict is that if you are in a relationship and your attachment is strong, the likelihood of your partner cheating on you is almost zero. Mm-hmm. If you have an open line of communication, if your partner can tell you and you can tell them when you're upset, if when they need love and attention uh, and you need love and attention, you both ask for it and bid for it, and generally speaking, the other person accepts it and responds well to it, then if you're in a monogamous relationship, why would you cheat? Why would you threaten uh, the relationship, one, because you like it so much? Two, you just don't have the urges. When you are in a secure relationship and you see someone that you might be attracted to, it ends there. It's like, oh, that's an attractive person anyway. It doesn't, it doesn't develop. When it develops and you find your – and what people will say when they're, when they're cheating is they don't say like, oh, you know, yeah, I felt lonely about – like if we went back to you uh, at band camp, you would have probably said, well, this person was just so compelling. right. And I wasn't getting attention. You know? Yeah. But, but this person was very compelling. Right. 
there's something inherent about the way me and this woman come together that is you can't you can't just overlook that right we come to it's it's this is this has to happen right but it's like peanut butter on white rice you know it's like a thing that doesn't sound that bad actually it sounds kind of yummy yeah Uh, with seaweed wrap well in fact yeah some asian sauces are peanut well actually they're americanized asian sauces that are peanut based anyway the um I'm kind of hungry too. Uh, uh, yeah. So I get. Oh, next question. What about a the single person in the affair? Is there a future in the relationship for the home wrecker? If they desperately want a real relationship with this person, do they not worry that this person may also cheat on them in the future, Bruno? Right. Well, first of all, there is there is that aspect that you just mentioned earlier, which is isn't so much about that one person because the odds are that the other person that you get to also has had cheating and like everyone has done it and but there is there is truth to the way in which a relationship starts can be more chaotic or less chaotic so if your relationship happened to start with some very like chaotic dissolution of another relationship it could be that um the person who is you think you're developing something with was just really looking for you know, some something to fill their voids, yeah. and you happened to be there, and so right. Uh, and I, you sort of hinted at this. I don't know if you meant this, but sometimes people will say this: is like if the relationship starts on a bad note, it's going to end on a bad note. But I actually, I, I, I don't believe that. I think it often does, but it's not because people. I think usually will say, "Well, that's a bad relationship because it started badly," you mm-hmm. know. Um, whereas it's like. There's inherent relationship energy, so to speak. Oh, yeah. I mean it more from the sense of... Uh, whatever pers- whatever reasons led to the original yeah. cheating would retain, would sustain if unless there's a change. And like, that's more accurate. I, I'll, I'll use my example in that case when I was 29, right? Um, it's not... Tr- like, I couldn't have lasted with that new person. And I might have all, also cheated because I hadn't resolved any of my underlying issues. Right. Right. And so if you hadn't, for example, through therapy, yeah. you might be cheating today. Yeah, exactly. So right. and I, I, so, I, I, so that's I, the key I, that I want people to know is that when you look at someone who has cheated in the past, it's not about some kind of personality trait that causes them to cheat in all likelihood. It's the uh, practice and the awareness that is lacking mm-hmm. that if changed, then they won't cheat again. Right. Um, another question. Can you explore the passive-aggressive punishing behavior by those? Yeah, I think I already did. Um, does it really take two to cheat? Do you, I don't even know what this question means. Yeah, I think what it is is the, hey, listen, yeah, I did the cheating, but it was because you didn't do blah. Oh. So it takes two to cheat. No, it doesn't take two to cheat. Uh, that's silly. That'd be like saying it takes two to tango uh, or something. <laughs> well, it, you know, it takes two people to uh, verbally abuse someone, unless you know? they mean like it was not just the person, but it was also the other, the the single person, or maybe the other married person. You know, but in even then, case, it's sure like it take- it's not on them. <laughs> they're they, they're not in the. They don't have a. They're not mm-hmm. beholden to any rules. Right. They're not. They're not breaking any rules. They're not. I mean, aside from they're like, breaking like society conventions, right? But they don't owe something to the other person. Not particularly at the level that the well, they, yeah, I guess that's funny to say because you owe certain decencies to your neighbors to your things, and I, I guess it's fair to say like, well, yeah, just 
don't go fucking around with another person's husband. Right. But you didn't marry the other person. Well, and the married person will often say to their affair partner, my relationship is is about to end. Absolutely. You know, or this person's really mean to me. Yeah. There's, there's usually some kind of even right. the the nice people will, will. Oh no, I literally said that. Oh, I, and I didn't not mean it. In fact, I, I, it ended right after. Right. You know, I said like, look, I think I'm done in this relationship. Like, right. I, I literally said that. It wasn't just a line to get. But late. you are the rare person who actually did end the relationship. Most people will say that line for years sure. and, and that's fair. and mean it, but sure. not do anything different. Yeah, yeah. it's because I. I don't like lying. <laughs> I, I just it, it, it uses up too much energy for me to lie. Yeah, it's good so. for you. Uh, do people who have cheated on deserve more in a divorce settlement? Settlement. So, right. If if someone cheats, does the the victim get more money in the divorce settlement? Man, that's why you need prenups. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't like generally the whole, you know, divorce settlement thought. It seems. I've also heard a lot of horror stories and things like, you know, for example, uh, with the Jeff Bezos thing or, you know, some dude or woman builds up $10 billion from their company. Then they marry someone. They are together for a year. And a year later, that person gets $5 billion. I'm like, that makes no sense in the world to me. How uh, long was Bezos with his wife? Oh, I don't know. And in their case, maybe it's fine. Maybe she played a role. I, I was only using it because it's his wealth is so ridiculously astronomical. But um, I don't know. I actually don't know the answer to this question. Do you know what she's going to do with that money? Yeah, she donated like half of it to charity. Really? And the other half is, I don't know. She's going to do something. Hopefully. But like, is she an entrepreneur? Or? Yeah, she wants to invest in podcasts in the in the city of Seattle. Yeah. She's looking for two up-and-comers. Um, gross. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Get a little punchy at the end here. Um, so, yeah, uh, regarding divorce settlements, it's, there are so many weird nuances to the question about asset distribution upon divorce. And I've been through those legal battles with people um, from multiple different angles. And it's such a it's such a hard question to answer, uh, even in the most cleanest of situations. Uh, particularly, well, yeah. So uh, I kind of like the way that it's generally done, which is like half and half, mm. and maybe a little bit of adjustment based on your earning power after after divorce. Yeah. But generally, fifty fifty, sixty forty. You know, you 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 sign on the dotted line with no prenup. You, you, you should have known, or it's pretty well known yeah. in our society that your ass. If you do break up, they just get split up. There's no you, yeah. what you earned versus what you saved. Now, there's some inheritance things that can be a little bit protected and that kind of stuff. Which you know, there's a certain logic to it. But to start asking questions of who deserves more of the assets based on certain behaviors like cheating. Well, then you get into all sorts of stuff because then you could get into like, well, who initiated the right. divorce? Why was who, I cheating? Yeah, yeah. Who, who, was, uh, who was being distant more? Who didn't invest energy into the – like it, it, yeah. it would get – I get the impulse, but yeah. I, I can't I imagine. Think, no. Though, yeah, let's, let's go with no. But in the past, they did use those kinds of things. I see. In the, like I don't think not that long ago okay. in the United States, they did use – uh, behaviors like that to mm. uh, justify certain kinds of um, punitive splits, right? 
Uh, next question. How about cultural expectations? For example, it seems that mistresses are quite common in France and Italy and India. Uh, Berto, what do you think about that? That's what I've... Well, I've, I don't, didn't know about India. I knew about France, maybe Italy. Um, I, I don't have any personal direct experience with it. That's just all, always what I've heard. It's kind of the, the, the stereotype is the, the French... With Frenchy with but why? Mistresses. Why do you think? Because they've been around for too long and they're getting bored. <laughs> the Europeans have, I mean, <laughs> like they're just—they've graduated to another. No, it's probably—it probably stems from misogyny, or you're not misogyny, but more like a male-dominated culture and um, just like males getting away with. Unless it's maybe I don't know. Maybe maybe in that culture it's both. Maybe they can both have it, and right. maybe it, maybe it's more like love is freer there. Right. So, I really don't know. I yeah, actually, I don't know either because I haven't yeah. studied those cultures and I haven't seen the research. But I think all those are pos- are possible, yeah. if not all uh, factors. Like you said, just different concepts of marriage, like love being freer. I mean, Pepe Le Pew. Right. Um, well, he was, he was really <laughs> trying to lock that stuff down. Yeah. Um, like, for example, with gay men relationships in the United States, they – typically, on average, and I think according to research, have a much more lenient point of view about infidelity. I see. Um, because of probably a lot of different reasons. Certainly, there are some gay relationships where uh, they're extremely rigid about it. But on average, um, they uh, tend to be a little bit more... Now, they're not like cheating on each other all the time, but they're just less likely to divorce mm. and, and the, the degree of the upsetness is, is less. Um, probably actually because from a very early age, you and I, Berto, and everyone else for the most part, was given this pristine purity notion around marriage and often in church right. and the sanctity and, you know, da-da-da-da. Right. Whereas we were not given that about gay relationships. Right, right, right. And so... You, you could almost think that gay people are more natural because they, they haven't been beaten into a certain idea. Having said that, some gay men might actually have beaten into them idea within the gay culture around uh, promiscuity or something and, and, and privilege, <coughs> uh, that kind of thing. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But anyway, so, so in France and Italy and India, there, there might just be a different concept of marriage. It's hard to say. I absolutely believe that male dominance and sexism plays a role in it for sure um, for a number of reasons. Not only just like, well, I want it and I'm going to have it and I, you know, I have my wife at home who takes care of the kids and I'm going to do whatever I want outside you know, because what can she do about it? But that sort of implies that if men could do it, they would do it. But that's not the, that's not the case. What's happening is because of the sexism and the rigid roles of men and women – and the lack of attention on attachment, you have a lot of, you probably have a higher prevalence, hard to say, of men in India and France and Italy walking around with massive attachment injuries uh. and no viable masculine way of coping with that uh, pain. Yeah, I see. They, they're taught to be men and they can't, you know, they can't ask for help and they have to be strong and, and they resent having to work all day and, and they do little bids for attention and love from their spouse. It doesn't work out. And they're just, and they're just like, fuck it, I'm going to cheat on her. And I just have this whole different view of like mob, mob movies, Sopranos. They all have mistresses, right? Yeah. And when I was watching it when Sopranos came out 20 years ago, I was like, well, yeah, I mean. Because they're mobsters. They're, well, and they have power, right? right, you know, right, right. They, they can do what they want. And what's their wife going to do? Uh, it's just the way it is. And. The more I think about it, I think, 
no. If you are a mobster, you can absolutely have a secure relationship with your wife. It's not like you can't. Uh, I'm sure there were some who did. And in though, for those people, as long as it's a monogamous, non-poly relationship, the mobster guy doesn't want to hurt his wife and right. gets all of his needs met through his wife. Right. So he he wouldn't want he would not only you know if the other guys were doing now that's one of those cultural pockets you know yep. that might encourage things and make it more normal. If you're a mobster, it, it's it's pretty likely you have some attachment disorders, <laughs> right? And most people do. Yeah. is my thing. Okay, and uh, that's probably also with your rich white guys thing. Right? Maybe there's a lot of people with attachment disorders running around exactly. with money. <laughs> yeah. um, let's see. Da, da, da. Oh, one of my friends was married and her husband cheated on her for 10 years. And she goes on to say that she never found out. How, you know, how can someone be cheated on for 10 years and not know? Berto, what do you think? Oh, yeah. Well, easy. I mean, easy if you if the other person is the kind of person that uh, has no or it's, it's easy for them to lie. Um, if someone wants to deceive someone and is, a, is either psychopathic enough or able enough to do it, they, they can deceive them, especially yeah. if the other participant or participants are not are in on it and are willing, you know, because right. imagine the person, let's take a guy, sorry to pick on guys, but let's take the guy that travels a lot, right? Yeah. And he, he might even travel to the same spot, you know, every month or mm-hmm. so. Yeah. Like, I'm just going for business. Why were you there overnight? What do you mean? I go, as you know, I go there every month. There's nothing to find. There's no underwear to find in the car. There's no nothing. Right. They could do it forever. Right. Yeah. And, but even in mundane uh, infidelity, yeah. like you are cheating with your ex uh, partner. <laughs> right. Um, and you, and, and uh, it, it's just, let, I'll just put it to you this way it's very easy. If, particularly if the victim isn't suspicious or isn't mm-hmm. particularly suspicious, you can cheat for years and years and years and have it never be yeah. discovered. Um, absolutely. You, yeah. If you just do it by the book, it, yeah. it, it just – Like a happen. more extreme thing, and I'm definitely not equating these things. I'm just saying, imagine if the following can be gone undiscover, undiscovered for years. You know, you can have a father or a mother or a grandpa or someone – uh, molesting a kid right. for years and no one finds out. Right. And that's a way more extreme behavior. You would think there'd be all sorts of signs. Right. Someone would catch them. Nope. Right. right. So now, having said that, some victims will choose to go into denial about it for sure. But Oh, Egypt has different rules? Yeah. But yeah, uh, it's not surprising. When I hear a story about someone who cheated on someone for 10 years and the victim had no idea. That doesn't surprise me at all. Right. Um, it, it's a little rare in these days with all the texts and the blah, blah, blahs, but it's still totally possible. Well, what's the final word on infidelity, Berto? Well, it sounds like uh, if you, you know, from everything I've heard you say, the main lesson I take away is if you want to preserve your ability to be unfaithful, you need to keep not going to therapy, keep your attachment disorders in place. So otherwise you might risk not feeling like you need to fill holes that, you know. Exactly. So I think that 
that is was your point, right? Like, hundred percent. Okay, got it. My only point. <laughs> well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself. Attend to your attachment needs because you deserve it.